when you were doing it in this way, it's songs from your past or, you know, songs that you loved in mm. the past. It's a, a location from your past, Studio Two. Yeah. Okay, so uh, it's a style from the past, you uh -huh. know. Did you have a, a sense at all of kind of stepping back slightly in time? Oh, yeah, a lot. Actually, all of us did. Because the thing about working in Studio Two in Abbey Road is they haven't changed it since before we worked there. And the idea is that there's so many great records come out of there, not just the Beatles, a lot of other good people, that why change it? I mean, you might mess it up. So it's one studio in the world, they've got a lot of other studios, EMI, so that's the one they don't change. So when you go back in it, or you see footage from it, it already looks like the past, because the, the location is the past. I think for all the guys in the band, it was kind of nostalgic, really. I mean, Dave Gilmore's worked there a lot with the Floyd, so he, he knows the studio well. But it's got, it is a great studio, it's a great room, stuff sounds good in it, and you've got to take the formula. If it sounded good when we just thought up something really quickly with the Beatles, it ought to sound good now. You know, it smells, Studio 2 smells, and people who'd come along who don't know that smell. To me, it's like a very homey smell. I go, whoa, yeah, you know, I'm back. Do you think you sing better if you think you have to sing good? Because you sound so great. Um, I mean, you, you know, the, the truth about the singing was that since Linda died for a year, I haven't really sung. There's no opportunity to or no need to or whatever. You just don't get around to it. Only things I've done, I've been writing little bits, and you use your little writing voice. It's a little voice, really. And then you learn how to project it when you come and make the record or whatever. That's the way I do it, anyway. So I didn't actually know if I could sing, so I had a bad moment the Sunday evening before the Monday morning. I thought, wait a minute. Not only do I not know if I can still sing okay, after a year of not really singing. I also don't know the bass parts to these numbers, and I've never done them before. Oh, great formula. But then I thought, wait a minute, the only thing is, the other guys don't know them either. That was the saving grace. I thought, well, that's okay. And that's what we did. I, I made up the bass part instantly, sang it while I was playing. Like, and again, I thought, well, if there's one thing I've had practice at, it's playing the bass and singing at the same time. You think about it, that's my whole career with the Beatles and beyond. So you know, I'm probably like one of the most practiced people in the world at that thing. And the guys would say, well, that's a nice feel you've got on guitar. Do you want to put guitar on it? I said, no, I'm the bass player. You know? So we did it like that all week. So you didn't do any piano parts either? No, oh. bass only. You know, just listening to it generally, I mean, there's mm. a few really sad moments in it, but mm. generally it just feels like a celebration. Very upbeat. Yeah. Was that the spirit you were looking for, or does that just happen to be what Well, no, that just happens because in rock and roll, that tends to be the spirit. Rock and roll tends not to be very sad. It tends to be very joyous. You know, Saturday night, I just got paid full about my money. Don't try to save. Heart says, go, go, have a time. Saturday night, baby, I feel fine. You know, that's the gist of most of your rock and roll lyrics. And I love that about it. But then there's songs that I remembered, like Lonesome Town, which was a Ricky Nelson song, and I was quite a big fan of his. And that's a sad song. Of course, now for me, it's more meaningful. It's, you know, when I'm singing it now, it means more than I ever meant before, just because it just does, you know. But it was good to do, you know, it's good to do those songs. It's kind of a little bit of like therapy in a way, you know, working with a band like that is a bit, you get it off your chest. So uh, yeah, there were, one or two sad songs, but mainly it's very upbeat, very energetic. I enjoyed doing it. You said it was like therapy, and I yeah. wondered how you meant that. Like, did you mean sometimes just 
you know, when life is really hard, burying yourself in your work is the yeah. best thing you can do. Well, you know, people have said to me, one of the things to get over a kind of tragedy is to stay really busy, really busy. But I thought, no, I'm not going to do that. I see that one, but it's just too easy. It's just a bit like denial. So I thought, well, for at least a year, I'm not going to do that. And so I didn't, you know, I just did whatever came along, whatever I felt good about. But I thought, well, maybe after the end of a year, I will start to think of what I want to do. And the immediate project that I, I'd been talking to Linda about was the rock and roll album. So I thought, well, that'll be good. I'll pick that up. It's simple. It's not too much thinking. You know, it's nice and basic rock and roll. And I'm, I might enjoy doing it. That's exactly what happened, you know. And working with the guys, we did get busy. In fact, we got very busy that week was just like madness but i think we all enjoyed it because it, it it demanded of us that the fact that we played well quickly and no one was allowed to say i need an hour for a vocal warm-up it's like sorry love you haven't got an hour to do the song never mind a vocal warm-up you know and so it was great it, once we all understood what was going on everyone really rose to the occasion and i, I know from just chatting to the guys that uh, we had a ball Welcome to Paul or Nothing, the place to get all of your Paul all of the time. Join me, your host, Sam Wiles, as we discover the history, the music, and the man behind it all, Paul McCartney. To get in contact with the show, email us at paulmccartneypod at gmail.com. Hello, hello, hello. Hi, hi, hi. And welcome to another episode of Paul or Nothing, the place to get all of your Paul all of the time. And remember... This is widescreen podcasting. This is widescreen podcasting. I am, of course, your host, Sam Wiles. Thank you all for tuning in, and I hope you're all well, safe, and sound. Today, everyone, we're going to be reviewing the album that we've spent the last five hours talking about over the last two episodes, which, of course, is Paul McCartney's 1999 rock and roll covers album, Run, Devil, Run. Of course, if you haven't listened to the two previous episodes in this series, do go back and check them out because they are doozies. But yeah, the long and the short of it was that this is the album that got Paul back into the studio following the death of Linda McCartney. It is Paul doing what he has done twice before in response to tragedy, which is to bury himself in his music, specifically 50s rock and roll. Joining Paul on this album in Abbey Road Studios, we have the killer producer in the form of hit maker Chris Thomas, as well as a stacked studio band, including the likes of David Gilmore from Pink Floyd and Ian Pace from Deep Purple. Both critically and commercially, the album exceeded expectations, but overall, its real impact and legacy is with the fans. Like, this is a really big album for a lot of Paul McCartney fans, and I know that a lot of you are excited to hear what I, what we have to say about it. And yeah, that is where this episode steps in. It is time for our review portion of the Run Devil Run coverage. Pretty simple stuff. As always, I'll bring on my guest. We'll probably spend too long talking about anything but the album itself. And then we'll go through the album track by track, song by song. You know the idea. Giving our thoughts. Of course... There are only three McCartney originals and 16 tracks to get through here, so don't be shocked if some of the summaries are pretty brief, in Paul or nothing terms anyway. Speaking of guests, it goes without saying that having the great TJ Shanoff back on the show was an absolute blast, a privilege, and a joy. I really do feel a kinship with TJ. I feel like we are 
kindred spirits in the Beatles podcasting world, and this conversation only confirmed that for me. Of course, as I will shortly repeat in my typically gushing intro, I really do look up to what he and Tony Mendoza do on their untitled Beatles podcast, and their ability to consistently produce Beatle content that makes me laugh never ceases to amaze. Once again, I was also overjoyed by the fact that he brought his piano back onto this podcast, as not only is it the best novelty for me personally, but it's also instant production value, isn't it? Also, as TJ says in this episode, we really do need to have his co-host, Tony, on this show, don't we? I better reach out right after this. But before I do that, here is my conversation with the other half of the Untitled Beatles podcast, TJ Shanoff, as we discuss Run, Devil, Run. Let's cut to the live show. And now, folks, we're in the live portion of the show, and that can only mean it is time for me to bring on today's guest. This is now his second outing on this poxy little podcast, having previously tackled Driving Rain with me uh, a couple of years ago. Yeah, I think it has been a couple of years already. But you more than likely already know him from his immeasurably fun and funny and brilliant podcast, the Untitled Beatles podcast that he does with Tony Mendoza. Folks... I don't say this lightly, but those two guys on that podcast, they are inspirations for me. They are aspirational because they are the perfect blend of edutainment. You know, I it is exactly what, what I want to do on this show. Even if I have to do stand-up on a cruise for a few years to get there, you know. Don't do it. Don't do it. <laughs> I haven't got good sea legs, so it really isn't going to work, but... Everyone, you just heard him then. Please welcome back a man who I am so excited to be speaking with today. It's Mr. TJ Shanoff. TJ, what's going on? Hey, my friend. <laughs> We're going to do a little sea moon for you. Hey, it's great to be with you, Sam. And uh, we love your podcast as well. And uh, on behalf of Tony, a.k.a. the smart one, it's great to be here. So thanks so much. And, and Casey says hi. P3ZNut says hello. But uh, yeah, thank you for having me to talk about, I think, one of my favorite albums of all time. Oh, my God. Oh, no. You can't just throw that in already. Oh, now I am excited. Now I am excited. Uh, Wait a minute. But... Are, are we talking about tripping the live fantastic highlights? <laughs> that did not get its own episode that was an addendum of another episode how could no. it not it's the only fucking place to find all my trials <laughs> you gotta oh. do highlights i literally just heard you mention all all my trials when you were talking about the best version of all my trials um uh, uh Mull of Kintyre. Mull of Kintyre, yeah that's yeah it. Yes. i love that version from that from the comeback tour and that's in 90 all My Trials is probably in the top 10 underrated, underdiscovered, underspoken about McCartney tunes. I've really, I've really got a little, a little soft spots for it. And I love the video. Yeah, the video is great. Weird it is. But, I mean, I mean, so much has happened since you were last here. We've had Now and Then, The Red and Blue, The Revolver set, that McCartney 3 cash grab release from a couple of wow. weeks ago that I'm, I'm still trying to recover from. Oh, my God. We've had um, a couple of major book releases, two of them from Paul, as well as another world tour going on. And with all of this, I really don't have a lot of time to listen to other people's Beatles podcasts. But in preparation for today, I did actually go and check out your show once more. And I'm just going to ask you a quick question. I'm, I'm going to try and ask this in the least douchey way possible. But 
Did you really think you covered all of Denny Lane in 47 minutes, really? No, Everything? No. We we call it an instant reaction pod. Tony Tony's working on a TV show and I'm hustling for gigs. So we call it, we have an hour and a half. Let's chug a beer, take an edible and go. So no, we, we did leave a few things out. However, not many podcasts covered the cassette release of In Flight. So I want to be clear about that. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, I mean, look, look, I'm just a little bitter because I did a four and a half hour episode and it took me out of the game for two months while I wrote and put it together. <laughs> oh, no. I should have oh, released no. it as like two two hour episodes and got double the downloads. I feel really bad, but it's nice that uh, we both tackled that topic. It was it was very refreshing to see all of that condensed down. It really was. It really was. Well, I- I don't know if you caught this or not, but I was there. I saw Denny Lane live in Evanston, Illinois, a Chicago suburb, winter of 2019. And that was a weird, cool anomaly. So getting to share some of that audio illegally, I might add. Come at me, MPL. Sharing some of that was kind of fun. Is it MPL? Would it be MPL who comes after you? I never found out what Denny's publishing company was, what his Harris songs was, you know? Email in your Denny Lane pub, uh, publishing pun I, I, ideas to paulordigadiel.com. <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I really enjoyed the episode. And I, I liked your comment about how you thought that Go Now was originally a wing song until you found out otherwise, because that's exactly yeah. how I felt as well. Yeah, it's it, such a highlight on Wings Over America. And how would one, when you're young, pre-internet know that oh wait this is the one song that's out of a McCartney song so yeah it was doubly cool knowing that Denny Lane wrote it after I'd already loved it that Wings Over America version kicks ass and I think it's the only Denny Lane like original that was in every Wings tour you, you know sometimes say you don't mind would be thrown in there or um I would only smile yada 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 but Go now. That that was always thrown in there, and Paul mentioned it like the moment they got together. I think Denny was even mentioned it in like an interview. How like Paul wants me to put a bunch of his songs in, you know? And I think I, th- I think we're combining it, and yeah, that's that's how Denny Lane will always sound in my head. But <laughs> sure, I love all the all the Denny Lane content that's been coming out of late. He he even was uh, given a shout out at the Grammys, which I thought was great. Yeah, that was nice. Yeah, your Grammy coverage was great as well. Although finding out that Tony is involved with the bear has completely ruined my love for that show. Now I can't, oh, I can't no. watch it anymore. No, <laughs> no, it, it, it was great before his stain was on it. So like, is it his job to add all the yes chefs to the shooting scripts or is to Tony, Tony is the resident chef on that show. Anytime you see any food, Tony has cooked it. Tony has eaten it. <laughs> It, it is and Tony's job digested to uh, digest it, right? No, to, Tony works with, on uh, script supervision. What's interesting is this is a show that is a Chicago show that's on. Where do you get it in the UK or in London? Because I, uh, we have Hulu, but I don't get Hulu. So I've yet to see my dear friend and companion's uh, show. Wow. No, um, honestly, The Bear was like my favorite show of last year. Everyone best- says that. Yeah, yeah. My best friend and me have a war because he really likes reservation dogs. I'm a bear boy. We're really going at it. But in the UK, we get it on Disney+. Plus. I think Disney and Hulu have something going, but Hulu over here is called Stars. 
So, you know, you can go from watching Avengers to Phineas and Ferb and then straight to the bear all in one seamless motion. See, I pay for Disney Plus. We have a child, so I should be. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The kid's the reason. Yeah. The kid's it's, the reason. That, that, and I'm one of those dad creeps who watches Bluey by myself. No, look, you want Get Back. You want Get Back yes, parts one through three. Yeah. Yeah. It's like when Homer got Marge a bowling ball with his own name written on it, you know? <laughs> it's a great episode. Speaking of Grammys, though, I didn't realize how many superfluous Grammys Paul got in the in the early 2010s. 2011, Helter Skelter for Good Evening New York City, best solo rock vocal performance. Engineered by Jeff Emmerich, I believe. <laughs> Engineered that album. Band on the Run, Archive Edition, best historical album. For what historically is now like the worst archive release as well, which I think is quite funny. Pieces on the Bottom, Best Traditional Pop Vocal Album, Cut Me Some Slack, Best Rock Song, and Live Kisses, Best Music Film. They were just they just wanted him to come to the award show at this point, I think. I think they were just... <laughs> Absolutely. You know, you want Meryl Streep to show up, you throw her on arm, and then the cycle keeps going until, uh-huh. until next year. Have you checked out the new Band on the Run Half Speed remaster at all? I have, although I've not listened to the vinyl of that. I've been immersed in the underdubbed vinyl. Yeah, yeah. it is. It's a beautiful set. And in fact, I don't believe underdubbed is sold as a separate LP. No, I think you've got to no. buy the Half Speed Master to get it. Uh, Tony and I are, I don't know when this uh, is going to air, Sam, but Tony and I are recording this week. We're doing an episode, a, sh- a quick one on the underdubbed mixes. And uh, I mean, I I will tell you right away what I thought would be a dull, superfluous release has kind of rocked my face off. I can't stop listening to it and jet and let me roll it with your songs I've been in love with for Mm -hmm. decades. They sound new. They sound it doesn't sound like like the live version of jet on. We mentioned tripping the live. Fantastic. There's lots of live and different versions. But to hear the jet, you know, in love like this, let me roll it. Holy hell. Yes. So I love it. Yes. And like as an educational tool, I find it to be one of the most invaluable things we've had in a while because it really does definitively clear cutly show what they recorded in Lagos and what was brought back and what was added later. I mean, especially since like, you know, we've just had the death of Denny Lane and there's always been this debate as to, you know, how much of Band on the Run is Denny and should some of these songs be uh, co-credited to him, yada, yada, yada. And with this set, you really do hear so much of these two as just harmonious guitar players together, like these musicians working on these incredible songs. And I mean, yeah, give me any new excuse to listen to these songs in a new way, and I'll love them. But you are right that they are very enrapturing, especially 1985. I was like left yeah. in my mouth agape when I was first listening to that. I was like, oh, wow, they, they didn't finish this song in Lagos at all. It's so fascinating. Yeah, it's it's like it's like a stripped karaoke version of it, which is kind of great. It also, to me, shows how easy it was for them to do the one hand clapping version of that track because clearly they've, yes. they've they've got this backing track that's pretty much perfect. So just put a new guitar line on top of that and a new McCartney vocal, and bam, you've got it there. That's why it sounds so perfect. Um, yeah. But until this set came out, I never knew that. Yeah, I love it. 
And uh, I am going to hear the half-speed vinyl at some point. I haven't taken it out of the jacket yet, but I've got the 20th anniversary vinyl. I've got the archive collection. Vinyl. Like It does beg the question, is this half-speed master going to be that much better than the the archive vinyl and and the the twenty fifth vinyl. I mean, I've got Band of the Run many times over. This this had better make me dinner if I'm gonna not sell it back at some point. It's gonna be the greatest version of Band on the Run ever. <laughs> Sleepy oh, no, Joe, no, do not. <laughs> I promise you. I walked into Abbey Road. I said, "What an amazing studio! This is a brilliant <laughs> studio. It's got the best people here." And I listened to Band on the Run. I love all the songs. I love them all equally. Don't try and trap me there, DJ. Uh, um, <laughs> Sam, that's frightening and makes me angry. Don't <laughs> take my McCartney with that a-hole. <laughs> me and Paul were very close. Okay, my favorite album, McCartney 2. All of my secretaries are very temporary. <laughs> <laughs> and he paid for all of them to have abortions. <laughs> so there's that. Going back to the underdubs and archive collections... Yeah. Do you not feel a bit gypped, potentially, like if you were someone who bought the archive set and didn't want to buy this? Because this does just sound like material that did they not have access to this back in 2012, you know? But was well, the capacity to Peter Jackson's, these tracks not there? Peter Jackson's mal technology made Band on the Run demos available. No, I'm I'm, I'm being facetious, of course. No, it's yeah. it is finding brilliant ways to remarket the same thing. And if you know any, you're younger than I am, Sam, but if you know anything about being a Beatle fan, and I know that you do, it is rebuying the same things over and over again while not feeling gypped is the way it works. There was a lovely, lovely vinyl reissue of one. And then they mm. had the vinyl reissue with the 2015 mixes. And now half of those songs have been remixed again on the lovely vinyl uh, red and blue album. So, yes, I mean, one, one can shake their fist in anger about how much they're rebuying. I got to buy Band on the Run again. Yes, I did buy it again. I can mock the fact that I have it 17 times on vinyl, but I bought it. And I love what I've heard so far. So, yeah, it's part of being a Beatle fan is knowing you got to kind of rebuy stuff. Do you know if it's streaming? Is underdubbed available? Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. got to be available streaming. Okay, so it's not like you got to buy the vinyl to hear it. That's a good thing. Good job, MPL. They've really been strolling away from the exclusivity between physical and digital media. I remember... It was the Idris Elba track from McCartney 3 Imagined right. that was advertised. <laughs> it was advertised. They told us that it would be forever, forever be only available on vinyl, except for obviously YouTube rips that would be available. But then within the year, it was on Spotify and being advertised. Like, oh, new, new McCartney single. It's like, ah, they got us again. They got us again. The way of the world, there's like nine extra tracks on the editions of Egypt Station. I mean, come on! You, if you, you you want to get home tonight, buy the Explorers edition. You, well, <laughs> you, okay, TJ. If you're going to yeah. resell me McCartney three, resell it with all these elusive bonus tracks that were mentioned in the uh -huh. original press release, and then never like. Is there no one at any press release just following up on that? On that, like, oh yeah, you know, I think I recorded about seven hundred and fifty billion songs during lockdown, <laughs> and I've released about thirteen of them, and put a song from nineteen ninety two on there. And it's like, come on. I mean, look, as Stella said, when he dies, the vaults will be opened. Uh, obviously, yeah, that was a joke, but, you know, I can't. I can't willing, many years from now. 
Yeah. Many it's, years uh, you, you know what, though? Here's the deal. Some McCartney fans, I don't know who you are, are thrilled with the re, 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 re release of Three Imagined. I want London Town and I want Back to the Egg. And You're never going to get it. You're never getting I, it. <laughs> never going to get it. Never going to get it. I would also like a deluxe Broad Street with the film version of Ballroom Off the Dancing. ground? Come on. Off the ground would be... Oh, oh my God. They There was... Was it UK and Japan where they sold off the ground with a bonus disc of all no, of no, the no. singles that was and the like, remixes? That was Germany and the Netherlands, I think. Okay. It might have been Japan, too. Or it might have been... Yeah, it was like off the ground, the complete collection. And I think Expanded it had like... Or something, yeah. Yeah. Take I, me down to the... to. Dug it under the river. Down to the river. Yeah. He wrote that one with Hamish Stewart, I think. Oh, yes. The Hamish Stewart songs never to be featured on a proper album ever. Ever. (laughs) Sorry, sorry, Hamish. But he did get a writing credit quicker than Denny. So, you know, there is that. There is that. Yeah. Look, let's head over to the topic at hand because there's a lot to cover even before the very first song. And first of all, how do you feel about this period? How do you feel about 50s rockers? Are they uh, an essential part of music history for you, or are they these kitsch things that are best left where they come from? Well, because these are rockers that I grew up listening to, even though they were significantly older than me. How fucking time. old are you, TJ? Like, you look great, but you, you grew up listening to these songs. Oh, my God. I'm 115. You at- <laughs> if you watch a Today Show in America, I'm on a Smucker's jar a lot. Um, there is the five today show fans like that joke. No, you know, because I was, I mean, I'll be 50 this year. So a lot of the music I've listened to had, um, was, was old classic rock The because of the Beatles. What was next? It was like my entryway to Zeppelin and the stones and, and then CCR and, and the band were all because you listen to the Beatles and you listen to classic rock. So yeah, when they were old, I was never the asshole who was like, huh, McCartney ought to stop rocking because he's too old to rock and, and I don't like that. No, like, I wish everyone would shut the fuck up and let people know. Who were these people? Oh. <laughs> they existed. I mean, a, a lot of rock critics would say rock is best for the young. Well, you know, tell that to Neil Young, who's still making incredible albums. So, no, I, I, I thought old rockers I was cool with and this McCartney era this ends one of my favorite McCartney eras and begins an era of terrible uncertainty. <laughs> it does uh, this is an the, era closer the uncertain me. early 2000s period oh Oy. no I oh. still struggle with that oh you know it's bad when vanilla sky is a highlight yeah. <laughs> Although I love that. I, I do love that song. And I, I think it's terrible that that 45 wasn't included in the McCartney 45s box set. How do you miss Vanilla Sky? Freedom yeah. I can do without. And I say that as an American who was real patriotic at the time. But this is my right to say I don't need to hear that tune again. <laughs> like, do, like, do you reckon there was like ever like an M1 Abrams tank just going down through Islamabad, firing depleted uranium whilst freedom from driving rain was blasting through the speakers? We'll have to answer. <laughs> what up, Fallujah? Because this yeah. is my right. I mean, it is a, it's got a little more teeth than Give Ireland Back to the Irish, but 
you could just feel that Paul is forever held back by these strings where he could just never say something too controversial. Unless it's about COVID and the bats uh, wet markets thing. He didn't do a song about that. That was that 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 uh, definitely could have been fun, you know. It's, well, bar, the, the, it's barbaric, you know. It's just it's just, it's, it's just normal. <laughs> That's what it's not on. is actually about. He, he was he was was very prescient. I mean, maybe, maybe that's what Big Boy's bickering was about. Maybe they were fucking it up for everyone. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, so were you around for the 50s revival the first time around, or were you a bit of a, a, a bit of, too much of a kid for that? Yeah, in fact, uh, my entry to music when I was four years old, the year before I got in the Beatles, was, was Greece. Greece. And yes! Because, be, I knew the dates would line up. Thank you for listening. So... Greece, yeah. because of Shanana, played in the 50s revival. And as I can't explain this as a four year old, as a five year old, seeing Greece everywhere. And I saw that movie in theaters a bunch of times as a little kid. In fact, as I've said on, on Untitled Beatles podcast, my parents got so sick of Greece. My non Beatle fan parents took me to see a musical Beatlemania as an excuse to get me away wow. from my weird Greece thing. And then they were like, oops, because then it was all Beatles all the time for the next uh, 40 years. Um, but yeah, so I, while I was young for it, I got it and that, and like happy days was one of the biggest shows I was on the reruns for till I was, you know, in my teens here in the States. Mm. So the fifties thing was a massive deal back in the seventies from what I remember. Yes. It's weird because Paul like has never capitalized on any popularity with like old fifties music. He's already at the end of the nineties and at the end of the eighties, two periods where on paper, I wouldn't really pick. Uh, you know that, that that period to do that kind of album but you know that's paul's style i guess he does it when when he wants to do it i mean arguably this is probably one of the most context laden albums in his entire discography yeah. you know um so far that chris thomas has even called this a requiem album for linda do you remember this time as a, a Beatles fan back then the the uh the post-Linda period. I mean, how long were you waiting to hear anything off Paul? Because Club Sandwich is gone by this point, right? Yeah, right. Did Club Sandwich make it through to Flaming Pie? Yeah. I feel no, like I've got to... Yeah. I feel like it died with Linda, quite literally. Oh, no, yeah. the fan club or the fun club died. He he ended it the day after she died, I'm pretty sure. Wow. Okay. That makes sense. And that's, that, that's great. It's great trivia there, Sam. I, I did not know that. Mm. Um, yeah. What I remember. Shut it down, about, guys. Shut it down. Yeah. <laughs> right. About the, uh, however, the Jim Keltner fan club still goes on to this day. Thank you, George. <laughs> what I remember of this period and I'm melding a couple years together, but just for some context, I, I graduated <laughs> college in 96 and the anthology to flaming pie as Linda was ill to Linda's death to this. And in the middle of this was the Lennon anthology. Mm -hmm. That was just, I think a year before run devil run. So there was a lot of Beatles stuff toward the mm -hmm. end of the millennium. And then of course, you know, right around here is George Harrison being stabbed. And then of course, in late 2001, finally uh, leaving the, the material world. So this album to me I didn't know much about when it was being recorded. This is early proto internet, you know, mm -hmm. you're not reading shit on your phone, you know? So uh, what I knew from Beatle fan uh, when the album came out was I had to have it. And in fact, through an <laughs> 
You're an importer in oh. Chicago. I, I, th- this was bought in real time. I got Just this got it on vinyl, the... folks, for uh, anyone not not uh, watching on Patreon right now. Oh, that's going to be worth so many dollars now. <laughs> Late winter in 99. I mean, and it's, it's, I played it probably three times and I keep it, you know, in a poly and, um, I give it to my seven-year-old. I say, you know, take Frozen off the turntable. Put this <laughs> shit on. Yes, yes, you can scratch it. Sure. Um, put your milk on it. Why not? But yeah, so when this album came out, I had the CD, the vinyl of this. And by the way, this was reissued once on CD in the mid-2000s when Paul switched over to the Hear Music Starbucks label in the States. Mm. They reissued CDs of this and chaos and creation of the backyard with different catalog numbers, no remastering, but it's interesting. It did briefly reappear on compact disc. Maybe that's why it's so cheap on e- on eBay then, because like well compared to like driving rain on CD, you know you can get this for like five bucks. It's really it's really cheap. And part of that is because he, what I think it made it made it in the twenties in the UK and in the states. This was number this number was, twelve in the UK. And maybe like 25 or something like that in the States. I don't think it cracked the top 20. So 12 is not bad, but still as a McCartney album, Capitol Records in the States, and I would assume Parlophone in, in the UK, this album was promoted terribly. This album was not promoted. This album, and, and I don't know if you remember this, Sam, but they made like a box set, I think just Oh, the Europe, singles the, box set. Of the 45s. Oh. That's on my Holy Grail list when everything's in mono. And there was, I, there was a single in the UK. They have a, in the States, I have a capital made for jukeboxes only with no other baby back but try not to cry. It's a, 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 a 45. But this wasn't promoted as even though this album sold because it was a McCartney album, no one thinks of this album when they think of McCartney records in the nineties. And I firmly believe that the Renaissance that anthology propelled him from flaming pie to this are, it's one of the high points in the entire Mm. McCartney catalog and then driving rain destroyed it. I wish Tony was here to defend Driving Rain. God, Tony <laughs> loves Driving Rain. It's my I love Driving speed Rain of well. sounder I among my least favorite McCartney albums. I, I, although I prefer uh, Heather to the note you never wrote. So I will oh. take the, one album over the other. Can you do the lick from Heather right now? Can you do that? What What key is it in? It's It's an E. It's, think it's, yeah. Oh my gosh. Oh, it's great just to have a little monkey like that. I love this. Uh this this is too much power for me to wield. This is folks, it really <laughs> is. Um the poor sales in America, though, it is it is an interesting point because Paul said from the get-go that, like, you know, this was never meant to be the next big McCartney album. And yet, when you look at the promotion in Europe, it's flaming pie level of promotional input, like. He's on Vet and Das in Germany. He's doing listing parties in Germany. He does listing parties in London. I think the only promotion actually in the States literally was a listing party in LA and one in New York. Both were star-studded events, but they were ticketed. And I just think that for him, doing like Oprah and Ellen and, you know, doing 50 other appearances in the States, SNL, was just too much. Maybe that would propel it into being an official album uh, with like high with like higher stakes i guess but 
It is mm. odd because this is an album of American music by American artists that is ostensibly all American with an American shot front on the front cover. And yet he didn't go over and promote it on Howard Stern. I, it, it seems odd. It, it seems like money left on the table. Uh, he did make up for it. To your point, he learned from it as did Capital, and he went out and did Fine Line on Ellen during Chaos and Creation, and he did the media tours for Chaos and Creation, and unfortunately... Well, Wayne had a, pretty, still... had, a, had a pretty big one as well. Yeah, I blocked that era out, my friend. <laughs> well, no, it is, it is... It. It's, no, but literally, for you, it is the worst time in American history. Like, it's just like the two worst things in one year, just back-to-back. Back. It's, you know... Oh, and and again, what gets lost in all of the 9-11 stuff is uh, George Harrison's death two months later was, yeah. I mean, it, I, I have copies of the Chicago Tribune and Chicago Sun-Times back when people were still getting newspapers every day. I saved them and they're each, it's like George has the top fold, Beatle George Harrison dead, and then everything else is like war continue. It just... It was a crazy time in the States. It was a crazy time globally, crazy time to be a Beatle fan and a crazy time to watch Paul dyeing his hair and dedicating, <laughs> I, dedicating I'm down and lonely road to the fallen heroes. But what the, what the Paul, who's giving you this about advice? This. <laughs> oh, Sam, it's like a McCartney nightmare period for me. My, my jaw was at least yesterday, acapella yesterday saved it, but it's like, this one's for the dead people. You tell last thing and I can't see. Oh, Jesus No, but Christ. like, you just picture it like with like footage of the jumpers. Just arm down. It's like, come on, Paul. Think, you, think it through. It's, it's like he had, it's like he had a song about like jet fuel doesn't melt steel beams and decided to premiere it that day. Well, you know, it's like, Paul, what, what are you doing, man? Just said, I'm down and would have been, a, a jet would have been as bad. Like there are certain songs you don't, you don't do with that. The intro to Back in the USSR could have been pretty yeah. bad as well. Like don't, the crowd starts ducking. It. Yeah. Oh, God. Oh, yeah. my God. <laughs> so you got this. Um, so you didn't get the box set originally. Um, I do have a friend no. who's trying to court me to buy that box set, by the way. So I okay. may pass you some details. Um, the vinyl, sure. Annoyingly, he wants a fair price for it. But I think I might try and like just win him over in a kind of talented Mr. Ripley kind of way. And work my way in into his family and get and get involved in in the will. Um, my my longest term relationship from over half a decade ago now. Uh, when we were together, her dad had a huge Beatles collection, and to say that it didn't go through my mind when we were breaking up that I was about to lose a lot of original, <laughs> very lucrative Beatle merch, then that would be a lie. Uh, that definitely would be a lie. If a woman's father has an original pristine mono white album, you marry her. You don't you don't ask any questions, you just marry her. And you ask for that album as the dowry. Yeah, it's a, it's a, <laughs> exactly. it's a per, the, the perfect crime. Um <laughs> most importantly, and this is a question that I've brought up three for three times on these three episodes. How where, where do you put Run Devil Run on your shelf? Does it go in between Chobber and Kisses on the Bottom? Is it a studio album? Is it a side project like The Fireman? How do you categorize this to someone who is definitely neurodivergent and on the spectrum ever so slightly? 
I Say Hi Everyone. This is Paul McCartney's best rock album that's predominantly covers, but, but also features among the best pure rock and roll songs he ever recorded as a solo act that he wrote. So I consider this album top three McCartney. And as much as Choba B C C C P. Uh, I always get the C's wrong. Is it two C's or three C's? Three C's. Snow the B's C-C-C-R. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I've been calling it (laughs) Shoba B-C-C-C-P since 1991. I loved that album, and I I heard uh, songs from that album before it was released because they were uh, B-sides on the British uh, Flowers in the Dirt single from My Brave Face and uh, that, that EP. So I knew some of these songs. And, of course, when I saw Paul live in 89 and 90, he did Ain't That a Shame in 20 Flight Rock. Um, But so even though Choba, I'm going to call it, even though the Russian album is a little too slick and a little not very organic sounding, I still love it. But this, I mean, first off, you got the good half of Pink Floyd playing with (laughs) Paul McCartney. And when that happens, uh, much like in No More Lonely Nights, you have some of Paul's best work. The Paul David Gilmore oh, collaboration. Oh, my God. Yeah. It is Sam. It's magic. He's the most underrated McCartney collaborator that no one calls a McCartney collaborator. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. And watching the Cavern show, which was a web. I did not watch it on the web, but it was a web simulcast. I remember that. <laughs> I, I got the DVD when it came out. Yeah. Um, but seeing how uh, Dave Gilmore playing those solos while Paul's playing on the, the cavern, not the original cavern stage, but the cavern <laughs> stage is thrilling. It's absolutely thrilling to me as a classic yeah. rock fan to see him and Dave Gilmore ripping through these tunes. Where does you're the host of the show? Am I crazy to say that like Kisses in the Bottom is a million rungs lower than this and that this is a special McCartney rock album? Is that nuts? So I've actually never even listened to Kisses on the Bottom. I know my Valentine because that's the one he played live for me when I went to the toilet back in uh, 2018. I, I felt so bad after I found out that even Paul knew that that was a toilet song. Like, yeah. you know, oh, well, I'm never going to go on that podcast now. You know, like <laughs> just watching me go to stall D7, you know. It's interesting that you could bring up Chobber and Kisses, though, because... I was apprehensive to listen to this album at all because of my love of Chobber. I've got nine copies of it on vinyl. I'm really obsessed with it. I love every single track on it. And I'm also a huge fan of Beatle-related people doing covers of 50s music. I love the backstory it gives. You know, if you ever need to choose, oh, what songs do we need to do for a Beatles biopic? Just go to Chobber, Holly Days, Rock and Roll, and you will find songs that will perfectly fit that era. And those three I just mentioned there are my all-time favourite Beatle-related albums. Mm. They always have been. And so I was like, oh, okay, so he's got a proper band this time. It's going to sound good with a good producer at Abbey Road. Is it going to have the kind of ram ramshackle, chaotic nature that I enjoy about Chopper? And no, it doesn't. But what it does replace it with is it's it's just fucking slick and it rocks hard. It, 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 it it's so well it's so well produced. Yeah, I mean everyone talks about it as you know the Linda album, and that's what one of his main motivators. But he does talk about in a couple of interviews how 
he was worried that people thought, you know, oh, he's doing classical albums, he's doing dance albums, he's, uh, you know, he's done a mostly acoustic album with Flaming Pie. And so he wanted just to do an album that did rock hard. And if nothing else, he certainly did do that. And, you know, you didn't know that Driving Rain was going to be a very guitar, very reverb, very distortion heavy album just around the corner. So I imagine a fan like you at that time must have been absolutely gasping just for Paul to do a, a, couple, a couple of power chords and shout down a mic at this point, right? Yes, and right around then, I want to say maybe a year later, a song that I heard on XRT, a Chicago radio station that took me forever to track down, was Paul doing a cover of I'm Partial to Your Abracadabra. Mm. which rocks it's some of the last great Paul rocks uh, screaming when he was in great voice. I think that's from 2000, maybe 99. I'm getting, I'm getting my years wrong there, but it's, it's right around this era. It's so, included yeah. on the driving rain ultimate collection. So it's definitely from around that time. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I probably before driving, but yes, uh, that, that would make sense. So yeah, man, to hear Paul rock out like this. And again, the pink Floyd connection the songs he chooses to, unlike Choba, which is predominantly well-known oldies, yeah. most of these are obscure, Sam, and that's what's so cool. Like, I think maybe the most known song here is Lonely Town by Ricky Nelson. Even that had become kind of a All, um, All Shook Up was a, a sh- big song as well. Yeah, yeah, Forgive me, All Shook Up, yes. But Paul doing a uh, slightly different arrangement of it than the Elvis version, for mm-hmm. sure. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. That's that's the biggest one here. But I mean, his originals too. Think about Paul's pure rock songs from I don't know the mid '80s till now. To me, Run Devil Run rocks as hard as anything he's done from the '80s on. Try Not to Cry. It's got such a cool kind of groove. <laughs> what it is, just it's got that chunk kind of rhythm to mm-hmm. it. I think Paul's original rock songs for being quote-unquote simple, are some of the best rock songs of the last quarter century, if not more. The originals on this feel like the two rockers on Broad Street. In the, Yes! In, it, it's a wonderful what-if kind of question. Like, oh, what if Paul... Because, I mean, were you one of these people... Sorry to go off the topic a bit, but were you one of these people that was there going, oh, why is he not doing another studio album? Why is he doing... What would, I mean, were you upset that it wasn't going to be a, a, like a, a proper effort? But think about was, it, Sam. As, mu- as much as you love Driving Rain, the word that I think even Driving Rain's Driving Rain fans, I wish Tony was here to talk about this, Tony Mendoza the Great, um, I, because my thing is the songs on Driving Rain feel studied and careful and like he's not labored, but he's trying to make a serious album on Driving Rain just to hear him rocking out relaxed after he kind of acoustic relaxed when he got some of his muse and working with Jeff Lynne for Flaming Pie. I think this is just Paul being relaxed. I love that these songs aren't labored. They're slickly produced, but they're not overproduced. Mm-hmm. I've done a lot of armchair psychology over these last couple of episodes, and I can't decide whether... These sessions are Paul trying to get Linda out of his mind as much as possible. But then you you get songs like Lonesome Town and No Other Baby and all the originals, which are intrinsically linked to Linda. But I I also can't help but feel like it's all meant to be one big dedication to her. I'm with you. 
I'm with you because I think the word that is floating around in the air as you talk is this album is a catharsis for Paul McCartney. Having a catharsis, the only way he knows how to rock the fuck out, different than John's catharsis when he recorded rock and roll and then said adios for five years, but it's similar times of trying to get their minds right. And that's what Paul was trying to do on this, whether it's mourning or moving on. He encapsulates every emotion in this lonesome town. No other baby. Try not to cry. The original song. Sometimes I try to be a man. He's he's wrestling with his own abilities to express emotion. This man who wrote yesterday and Eleanor Rigby is is it's a plastic Ono band moment for Paul McCartney and trying. Oh, no, 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 no. I'm going to go one step further. It's borderline Ram-like in terms of the emotional display that McCartney gives. Um, okay. I mean, it, it's ironic because obviously like the, the McCartney one Ram era, Linda was there to pick him back up and help motivate him. Whereas here, it, it has to be entirely self-motivated, but he's kind of doing the same thing again. He's throwing himself back into his music to to try and blot out the negative thing going on in his life. I mean, he did it in 57 and 58 when his mom died. He got into rock and roll then. That's where all these songs come from. He did it when the Beatles broke up. He, he kind of threw himself into his own music when Wings was breaking up with like McCartney 2 as well. After Japan, yeah. Yeah. And it's happening again here. There's just so much bubbling beneath the surface it's it's hard not to be one of those people you know the kind of people that assume that any song written by john or paul that remotely features an unnamed man in it has to be about the other one Mm -hmm. it is hard not to do that with run devil run especially with the originals but every facet of this album you can connect to linda even on like the most tangential level um she almost seems to like purvey every aspect of it both in a positive and and negative way, I still don't know to what level. I'm generally trying to figure out what I think the story of, of this album is, most because I have to give a speech about this at the uh, second annual Beatles Academic Symposium in Liverpool wow. later this year. How so, wonderful. Congratulations. That's uh, wonderful. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm going to be like the only non-academic there. I'm going to come in in like a... I'm probably going to come dressed as Guy Fieri, like super casual, <laughs> just to really, really throw throw him off. But yeah, I'm, I'm, I spent far too much time thinking, overthinking about this album, in all honesty. Well, then, Sam, if I may, let the album overthink for you, because even the track listing, the, the order of the tracks tells a story. And Paul doesn't open this with a rocker. He opens it in a ruminating way that then builds to kind of a little bit of a 50s skiffle type feel doing this blue jean, blue jean bop, this country. It wasn't even country rock in the States. It's just kind of a pure country tune. Blue jean, baby, with your big blue eyes. Don't want you looking at guys. Got to make you give me one more chance. I can't keep still, so baby, let's dance. Well, the blue jean bop is the bop for me. It's the bop that's the sun in the dungaree. You dip your hip, you free your knee. Well, wiggle on your baby, one, two, three. Well, the blue jean bop, blue jean bop, baby, blue jean bop. Blue jean bop, baby, blue jean bop, baby, won't you bop with me? 
haunting the way he opens this, just with the strum and the guitar and that opening. Blue jean, babe, with your big blue eyes. Th- think awesome, about right? how lovely that is. He doesn't open with Run, Devil, Run. It's not a, a pot boiler, quote George Martin. He opens this in a ruminative way. And I think that says a lot to your point about the psychology of Run, Devil, Run. Oh, no, Blue Jean Bop. It is masterfully sequenced because yeah. if he threw us in the deep end with these new hard-ass rock takes on these standards, it pretty might have been a bit jarring for some. And so for him to pick this kind of light mid-tempo number that is in the style of a 50s track, it's produced in that manner, is a great way just to kind of slowly ease us into this world. It also lets us know that he could be doing this album this way if he wanted to. He's demonstrating that for us, but he's choosing not to, and he's going to do some pretty crazy stuff just in a few moments. And Sam, real quick, the guitar solo here, that Gilmore guitar solo, that 50s Mm. crunch, that lets you... That yeah. lets you know something else is happening because it takes you out of it. It's tasteful, hard 50s rock in a way that feels like at any point it's going to go off a cliff, but it's restrained, and then it saves it for later in the album. It is just, yeah, this song's a masterstroke. I love it in mono. Mm. Yeah. I've not heard any of this album in mono, and considering how much fun I've had with the Ram and Revolver uh, mono sets, uh, I'm definitely going to be checking that out. I'll send it to you. They're, they're dubs from the Mono 45s when this was issued. And a couple tracks from the No Other Baby EP, I think. Mm. Um, with Blue Jean Bop, it did remind me somewhat ironically of bogey music. And I guess that just highlights how much of a 50s pastiche that song was Yes, as well. Paul also, I think, changes the lyrics slightly. Because uh, he says, baby, would you bop with me? And he says, Gene, right at the end. But I can't believe in the original, Gene Vincent says, baby, would you bop with Gene? Every verse, like he's some sort of 1950s DJ Khaled. It is, it is oddly <laughs> brash, I must, I must say. Um, but yeah, Blue Jean Bop well, is a, I, a hell of a I will tell you, when Gene Vincent walked in the building, everybody's hands went up and they stayed there. But we're not going to have much more of a faithful rendition of the old rock and roll history here as we move into She Said Yeah. being absolutely blown away by this one when I first heard it. I did know of Run Devil Run before going into the Intersamages. I'd heard that through the, the general osmosis. But I thought, oh, that's probably going to be an outlier. It's I know that it's one of the originals. 
But then just to immediately come in with that, those four hits on the drums, that dun-dun-dun-dun-dun, I'm sold. I'm sold already. Like, yeah, cracking. I love this. If the rest of the album's going to be like this, then I am completely sold. And to use that word you used earlier, this whole thing feels cathartic. There's so much emotion here. Again, Paul's never going to address his problems openly in a kind of Plastic Ono band kind of way. But coincidentally, he's going to pick a song that in his darkest hour allows him to shout a hell of a lot. And we're basically getting the 50s rock and roll primal scream from Paul here. And it is arresting as hell. You, like, you just stop what you're doing when this song comes on. Yeah. No question. Yeah. And Sam, Chris Thomas's tight production, the band feels like they're in a closet when they're recording this tune. This song is so punchy and clear. The playing is great on this. It's a real, it's a rock and roll tune. And again, it makes me think like for as great as Paul's entire catalog is, I wish there were more moments like this. Two of my favorite songs of all time. Granted, I was in fourth grade when this movie came out and I saw it in theaters, but you mentioned Broad Street. I was one of the eight Americans who saw that movie. Thanks to my mother who was like, what are we doing? I'm like, trust me. It's, we have to see this film. My mom's like, but other reviews are bad. I'm like, doesn't matter. It's Paul McCartney. And, and we did. And we were, there were like three other people in the theater in the third biggest city in the country at any rate, uh, no values and especially not such a bad boy are two of my favorite McCartney songs. And I wish for as much as I, I'm a sucker for wanderlust and I'm a sucker for Calico skies and, and mm. God bless. But like, I like when Paul rocks out and this is an MF and rock out. It rocks out way harder than the Larry Williams version. The Larry Williams one has a <laughs> saxophone doing the bow, 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 bow. Yeah. This rocks harder than the great Larry Williams version. Good for Paul. It's, classic there is never a moment in the entire mccartney discography where him re replacing an instrument with his own vocal is never not the right move i mean yes just look at the um silly love songs demo just him going like that's just some of the best stuff ever and all like he doesn't do it enough and he, he, he he's real cock tease with it but in um happy with you yeah and he here he does it for one measure and i wish he basically just did the whole song like that i'd be very happy yeah i mean paul your, your voice is going but you can still grunt with the best of them definitely well and he plays his own mouth saxophone in your 16 the ringo star <laughs> classic that is oh. probably should be canceled all right so anyway sam he also plays his own carrot we also talk about this album being like the 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 Paul McCartney rock justification album, but I think the more accurate moniker would be that this is the album f with him basically saying he can still get it up vocally. He's definitely amping it up across this album for effect, right? Yeah, but knowing Paul and his recorded career, I don't think this is for effect. I think this is authentic and genuine. I think he's just rocking out with his friends and looking over. You know, people talk about, I was going to say looking over at Dave Gilmore. People talk about how Paul was never part of a super group. I mean, I know that the this rest is of the, the guys. Super group. This yeah, is it. That's what I'm saying. I mean, it, it's slightly it. different. Bob Dylan uh, is slightly different than David Gilmore and what's his face? The, the deep purple drummer. 
you know, is not Ian Pace isn't Tom Petty. So there's a slight difference in talent here. God bless you, Mick Green. But yeah, right. McCartney and half of Pink Floyd. That's a super group. It rivals the live touring bands. It rivals a lot of the wings lineups. I guess it just it was never meant to be. I think it was the same lineup, though, that did all the promotional stuff, I believe. And the Cavern show. Yeah, so I guess the ones who did the live stuff there, quote-unquote, the real Run Devil Run crew. Um, yeah. I know Dave Mattax, and I think it's Geraint Watkins, came in to do a couple of, uh, Keyboards. of the extra songs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, oh, well, actually, speak, speak of the, the promotion. Why has none of this material ever materialized in a McCartney set list live? Ever? Is that not a bit strange to you? Has oh, let, let me think about that for a minute. I don't think Run Devil Run's ever appeared. I don't think No Other Baby has. I'm, oh, I'm looking- shit, Sam. I'm going to say I wish P3Znitz was here because I'm pretty sure he's done Honey Hush and he might have done it at the show at the Apollo what uh, a few years ago yes i think honey hush has been done live <gasps> no these are all okay lot of, there's been a lot of sound checks for honey hush yes Ooh. but i think he opened a show with it the Come excellent paul mccartney project here honey yes. hush has been played in 10 concerts and 58 sound checks see all concerts man looks up something on the internet the Secret Website Show in 2002. Uh, oh, yeah. Oh, in the Back in the World Tour uh, in 2003 at King's Dock, he played it. Okay, all right. At the Independence Concert. Oh, and at Coachella in 2009, apparently, he played Honey Hush. All right. I've got to go check this out. Well, look, okay. Well, all right. I'll, re- I'll, I'll rephrase that question. Why <laughs> is Run Devil Run not? More represented in his in in his live shows, did did Rusty and Brian just hear too many horror stories from like the eighty nine to ninety three tour? And I was like, just don't let him do the rock and roll because you'll be playing it forever. Don't let him do the fifties stuff. <laughs> it's, it's, that's what Wix was telling him at, at dinner just before soundcheck. No, I you know Paul, the only ones he. I don't know if he's doing 20 flight rock live anymore. He does that on the, um, the cavern show. He pulls mm. out 20 flight rock and I saw her standing there, which are real neat with this band, but no, you know, there's only so much real estate in a Paul McCartney show. And as much as like, would I prefer to hear what it is over fuck you or Queenie? I yes, yes, hey. I would. But, but I also want to hear take it away. And with a little luck, the way he was rehearsing it to do, had they not been busted that, that live rehearsal with little luck is just, it kind of rocks a little bit. Yeah. So, you know, you got to pick your poison with the McCartney show. I don't think he doesn't do these cause he doesn't want to. I think there's too mm. much, there's only so much real estate in the McCartney show. It's great to have someone on the show who might actually like the Puggins Hall recording sessions. That's actually very funny. <laughs> <laughs> because sure. no one likes those sessions. My God, they're <laughs> awful. Um, although, ironically, it's the only time McCartney's ever recorded Movie Mag before this album as well. Is that is that Puggins yes, Hall? Yes, I think you're right. Yeah. There's um, fortunately uh, you can get the entirety of the Puggins Hall gig on YouTube. Uh, but yeah, let, let's press on to the. Obscure song. Interpol. Yeah, this is the obscure song that was not a hit. This is All Shook Up. 
Yeah, I forgot he does one. this one. Yeah. This is your point. The, yes, yes, he is in the prepared one. This is the biggest obvious song on here, but he doesn't do the Elvis version. That's why even though it's an Elvis tune, he's doing a different version. Because Elvis has a, well, bless my soul, what's wrong with me? And this is, well, bless my soul. It's fucking great. I take this over the Elvis original. Two rockers in a row, TJ? What is this, Christmas? I mean, my gosh. <laughs> Paul never does this, does he? I mean, it, it is a statement. And, I mean, one of the big takeaways I get from this song is, oh, he's nailed the landing. It's not... I mean, this. there's a million ways this could have gone wrong and been absolutely cringy, and it's just not. He's absolutely distilled what he is doing with this project uh, down down to a fine art. He, he knows how to, with Chris Thomas and this band, update all these songs masterfully. It's the opposite, Sam, of the version of It's So Easy where he just screams it and does a punk. Have you ever heard no. his, his It's So Easy? He did, he did two versions for a Buddy Holly thing about a decade ago, and one was a traditional one, and one was just him screaming. <laughs> Like, we don't need it. um, So just before he started promoting this, uh, it was after he did the EPK, though, so I still included it. At one of the last Buddy Holly nights in 99, he does a version of Rave On. And it is one of the worst things I've ever... (laughs) Like, Paul can produce one of the best Buddy Holly covers albums ever. He cannot sing Buddy Holly to save his life which makes sense that he was covering the Chuck Berry version of Brown Eyed Handsome Man and not the Buddy Holly one because yeah. he, he, he actually succeeds in doing it. <laughs> yeah. First of all, the best thing about All Shook Up is that he doesn't do what he did with Name and Address uh, on London Town, and that's an Elvis impersonation. Thankfully... Your name and address. Yeah. No, he does not. Oh, it okay it's okay it's 76 77 London Town 77 i've lost my mind 70 oh buzz me yeah help me yeah it's 78 elvis is dead i get what he was doing yeah it's it's a fun little number but name and address doesn't compare to any of the actual elvis covers that paul has done this one included it's not as like balls to the walls aggressive and and hard as the last one was but we, we're definitely getting the the, the uh, picture now that this is what we're going for on this album. Weirdly, though, like I feel like this is going at like twice the speed of the original one, and yet it's only like six seconds shorter. Paul has this way to even when he's doing songs quickly, they still end up being twice as long as they probably should be. We do see that on this album That's quite a lot, actually. Him extending these two minute songs 
with oh oh there oh there's eight musical bridges there's eight solos in these we're gonna get these all to four minutes it's okay it's still more interesting than hunt you down naked sea uh sea link sea link sea <laughs> level chuck lavelle's band sea link yeah. and come on people and come on, see with the apostrophe. Yeah. You've been dining um, yeah, on that Sea Moon riff for two episodes now. You really have. <laughs> it's all. I, it's all I know. It's all you need is the opening of Sea Moon. Um, yeah. This quick, is quick uh, request. The intro to yeah. Babyface. Oh, the fake out one. Yeah. All right. There's there's probably one at the end of this you might want to sing along with, and it goes like this. Baby face, you got the cutest little. Oh, hang on, hang on, hang on. What, what I meant to say, what I meant to say, what I meant to say. Hey, Jude. <laughs> no, I, I actually didn't mean that one, but that's perfect enough. That was perfect. How about this one? All right, there's a bit at the end of this one. You might want to sing along with one. If I were not upon the stage, it would sound like you. If I were not upon the stage, an engine driver me. Do you hear me? Hey, hey, no, 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 no. Hang hey, on, whoa, hang whoa, on. Whoa, 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 whoa. I love like like we can work it out and unplug when he rehearsed. What uh, we might have to start that one again. Seems like I've forgotten the words. <laughs> Which no, you did it in rehearsal, Paul. Come on now, what baby face were you referring to? The the baby face from one hand clapping when he goes. I want to get the calls oh. right this 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 time. All he goes, right. Dun 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 dun. dun. Oh, and, and then he comes in with like the New Orleans band behind it. Right, That's I thought you were one. talking about. I thought you said baby face, and I think of the Hey Jude fake out. <laughs> what I meant to say, what I meant to say. <laughs> hey, <laughs> every live album. What I meant to say. Like, that's him at his most croonery, and it's fantastic. It, it really is. It really is. Let's go on to the first of the originals because I, I can see that we're spending far too much time on, on each song. Let's, let's uh, press on. We're going to talk about. We're good. Run, devil, run. Run, devil, run. The angels having fun, making winners out of sinners. This is quite clearly the standout track of the album. If you're ever going to do a, you've got to pick one song from each album to represent each album. I think 99.4% of people are going to pick this one with the other 0.6 picking No Other Baby. I've said before, I think in terms of thematics, this song utterly fails because it feels like it was written for a modern band in a modern studio with Chris Thomas. I can't picture... Chuck Berry doing Run Devil Run. I can't picture Gene Vincent doing Run Devil Run. But 
conversely, it's easily the the most well composed, the, the the most fully realized, the most well produced, well played of the originals. It's a borderline classic, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. I, I fell in love with it years before this episode. It's an utter McCartney classic for me. I only hope you feel the same way, TJ. I could not agree with you more. I wish for ratings we could argue with each other so the ratings yeah. would go up. Because people like when... Yeah. <laughs> run, devil, run. It's a dog. It's a dog of a song. Turn it off. Turn off the song. <laughs> How come Trump's repealing Run Devil Run, motherfucker? No, um, I, was, I was thinking about this. Like, what Beatles platform could Trump do to like win us? So I was like, I will get McCartney to re-release all the archive editions, all of them. I've spoken to him. Okay, we're gonna get back to the egg, London Dan, and and off the ground. Okay, it's gonna be amazing. <laughs> really good and really brave. We need to have you on the Internal Beatles podcast to give oh, Trump man. talks. Man. Trump oh. talks obscure McCartney. Man. Um, and fucking sleep, Sleepy Joe, Sleepy Joe, he doesn't want you to have the Rupert the Bear album, okay? <laughs> it's absolutely amazing, Sam. Um, yeah, I, I love this song too. <laughs> I I think I think the song's one of the best rockers Paul has ever yeah. recorded. Yeah. And you talk about context, she said, yeah, all shook up. And then Run, Devil, Run brings this little trifecta of rock tunes to an absolute frenzy. Yes. Yeah. And if you listen closely, what's always gripped me is, listen what I'm saying to you, run. That word, run, it sounds like Linda's given harmonies. I'm not a superstitious man. And Paul even mentions it in the Run, Devil, Run interview. It straight up sounds like she's on the track. And I need AI to go in and separate all the vocal tracks and figure out. It's like the Hard Day's Night opening chord. It's like, what? Like chord, yep. What conflagration of events led to this exact sound happening? Mm-hmm. It must be a mixture of him, Dave Gilmore, and at least one other one. Because it's got an almost wings layering to it, like that perfect wings yes. tri- like trifecta to it. Yes. It's yes, it's some kind of proto AI fuckery because the fact that you and I love the song so much as McCartney heads and then both agree that there's an element of Linda to this vocally. Yeah. This is hearing Paul rock out like this on record. I'd rather hear him do this in concert than Helter Skelter. I think, I think live Helter Skelter is pointless. I think live Helter Skelter is an excuse to show people Paul can still rock and he can't hit the high notes in that one anymore. And it just feels like I love that band, but it's just noise for seven minutes. I'd rather that time be better spent in a live McCartney show. Well, I believe that if he was to do this song live, it would take up, well, it would be in the Paul goes on the on the electric guitar portion of the show. I feel right. like he would, he would want to do that. Yeah. Definitely. Like what I like about Paul is, he can sometimes write for himself in the third person almost. And it feels like someone else has written a good song for Paul McCartney here and that he's done it well. Yes. It doesn't feel like a song from the 50s, but it does feel like a song that Paul is still covering to to uh, some extent. It, it's not got a lot of him-isms in it. The only cliche McCartney-ism related to this song is the fact that he called writing it simple, even though it's like the wordiest tongue twister of a track he's put out in like 10 years 
Yeah, the, the, this is Paul's, much like McCartney 2 was Paul's response to punk, this is Paul's response to rap. Yeah, my name is Paul. That's what he's I'm doing. here to say. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. There's a terrible bootleg from the 80s called the Golden Beatles that has a Beatle oh, no. rap on it. And oh. it's like bad Beatles 80s rap. I'll send that to you too, buddy. So one of the first Beatles CDs. TJ, why do you have to yeah. talk about that Chipmunk album on one of your latest oh, episodes as well? Oh, it's wonderful. Oh, my God. Hey it's there, so kids, bad. you know, it's going to be great. <laughs> <laughs> so ear-piercingly bad, yeah. It would be great to hear some more of the latter-day Beatle tracks in the Chipmunks uh, style as well. <laughs> you know, they, uh, <laughs> the Chipmunks sing now and then. <laughs> but Alvin's dead at this point, though, as well. Like, you know, one of them has to be dead. And then, like... It's just Simon and Theodore in the video, <laughs> but they're interacting with stock footage of Alvin. <laughs> Dave's son is uh, the yeah. Giles Martin of this. <laughs> and, and then like Peter Jackson's like, I can't believe I got to work with the children of the original Chipmunks. You know, just it's a great opportunity <laughs> to go down to Abbey uh, Road and uh, look at all the footage of the Chipmunks <laughs> over the years. Uh, I saw their original red, blue, and green suits. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that wouldn't surprise oh, me because, I mean, Pete, Peter Jackson owns one of the original Chitty Bang Bangs, so it wouldn't surprise me that he would probably have bought but <laughs> Alvin Simon and Theodore stuffed. The, the <laughs> Can you imagine? I think Peter Jackson might have bigger problems if he's spending his money on that. I think Peter ought to talk to someone. Peter, you are going to be responsible for everything that happens Beatles-wise from now on, for good or bad, so be careful historically, Jackson, yeah. you mean. Uh this could all backfire. Uh, buddy, it's evolution. It's almost like um, Kevin Howlett's the new Lewison. <laughs> Everybody gets replaced in Beatle World. Look, we've had these Taylor Swift deep fakes that have caused legislation in the States, but where are the Beatles deep fakes? Like, where can I see John and Paul R-rated flesh slapping against each other? That's got to be out there somewhere. Now. <laughs> I think you can find those on what we call the dark web. <laughs> I Paul, I, Paul, I just want you to come over here and give it to me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Sure, I can give you something Yoko never did. Anyway, moving on, <laughs> we're going to talk about No Other Baby. <laughs> yes. a complete douchebag was this the best choice for a single to represent what run devil run is yes because it's the best choice for paul to artistically express 
everything he's been building up to at this point in the record. He's singing to Linda, who's no longer here. I don't want no other baby but you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think artistically, this is this is Paul saying this is the s- song that I want out, and it's a great song. I mean, the Vipers' original track was not barely known, but it was little known. Like they played it on oldie. I remember hearing it once or twice when it was like part of the oldie station rotation. So this wasn't crazy obscure, but yeah, I think this was a cool choice that in retrospect to your point, Sam probably should not have been the lead single. I think uh, it should have been run, double run. Yeah. Run, double run. A hundred percent should have been the lead single. I mean, Paul played this like five times in during his five biggest appearances. Like he did one song for Vet and Dax, which has like hundreds of millions of viewers in Europe alone. And it's just this... And like, of course, it is probably the second best song on the album. Paul mm-hmm. has never performed it poorly at all. In terms of provenance, it is the tearjerker song of the album, of course. I mean... Paul always called Linda his little baby as well. So, I mean, again, if, if you know that, it's going to hit you all the harder. But in terms of, like, the executive with the cigar in his mouth, I'm like, how did he let this be the single? Like, Paul must have a certain amount of sway, I guess. Because if I was choosing this album, it would be something upbeat and fast and rock and roll and hard because I think the choice of song ultimately did lead to the single not selling very well. Like, got, like the top 50 hit here and in the states that must have been a bit of a disappointment for paul i don't think it charted in the states i i think oh that this at song, all oh no yeah i mean there are you gotta remember that uh, even flaming pie the singles they all did better in the uk than they did in america but like young boy yeah, that yeah. stuff paul hadn't charted in the states for a while off the ground began the uh-oh for paul chart wise even my brave face to me, one of my favorite Paul McCartney songs ever only made it to number 25 in the States. So, you know, I don't think whether Capital released this or like the 45 I have for Jukeboxes Only is No Other Baby Back But Try Not To Cry. I, they could have released anything. What radio station in 1999 is playing this? And that's not disrespect to Paul. Mm-hmm. Music was fucked up in the late 90s. No, You know what? What was popular and what would be popular and grunge was now in the rearview mirror. Got Cobain been dead for what nine years or eight years? So like, you know, things are changing. In America, why would you listen to this song? The economy's booming. Nothing bad is right around the corner. Right. Everything's just gonna be, <laughs> right. you know, the offspring are gonna go from strength to strength. Uh, <laughs> you know, the- <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Everything's not about to just collapse around us. You can take liquids onto planes. It's uh, box cutters galore. Be- yeah, ten minutes yeah, before yeah. your flight. Michael Jordan's never going to retire. Yeah, it's a it's a really good time in the states. Friends is never going to end. Uh, yeah. So, point being, I don't care what single they release. With no disrespect to Paul, the public, whether it was marketed or not, I mentioned Capital shitty marketing of this album. Maybe they saw the writing on the wall too. They're mm. McCarty didn't fit into the demographic. As you put it, this period may have even started as early as 89, but Paul has been an album's, not a singles guy for well over 40 years now. I mean, the singles are almost a cursory indulgence on the part of the studio. Like, well, you've got to to have a single. You've got to have a single because it's Paul McCartney's and it's it's the new new album. But then all the way up to McCartney 3, 
there was no single. Far My Way, not really a single. Kiss of Venus, not really a single. That was that was from Three Imagined. Women and Wives, not really a single. Dropped from the set list after like four performances. Yeah. I mean, fortunately with Run Devil Run, he, he still shifted a fair amount of plastic. Well, it was interesting. Uh, r- real quick, Egypt Station had a double A-sided single of Come On To Me and I Don't Know. And I don't think that did anything mm-hmm. in the charts. And they're both great songs. And then we had those post-album singles right, that to, definitely didn't yeah. chart and in a hurry. <laughs> thinking. Yeah, do you reckon like Paul rang up Taylor Swift for that one as well? Like, so I'm about to release a single and I know you're going to release yours on that week as well. Could we like separate them? Because I really think it's going to do numbers. <laughs> no, Paul, no. It's okay. Um, there were some very um, cute photos of, of him taking off Taylor Swift's boot, some outtakes from that, from oh, that yeah. Vanity Fair shoot. I'm not going to lie, it's kind of hot. Well, you know, but Paul likes Taylor Swift's feet and Rick Rubin's feet. No, he likes Rick Rubin's beard. He, there, there's so much deleted footage of him. Just, I just want to play with it, Rick, you know. It's just, 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 just really boring. Um, but yeah, No the Baby, it's a definitive winner. I mean, I'd say it's the definitive version of the song. I don't think that that's too much of a stretch. I mean, Till There Was You is the definitive version yes. of that one after Paul did it. And I think this song succeeds because of its simplicity. I mean, they're all quite simple tracks throughout this album, but just that slow, ding, 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 ding. It, it really just allows you to project whatever emotion you want onto it. And you are kind of powerless to it by, by the end. Yes. Of the and hour. to save going into the higher register toward the end of the song is a stroke of brilliance. And it really, it's Paul's great rock voice in both registers in one song. And we're going to have a quick pause there from our wonderful conversation with TJ Shanoff. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the midpoint of the show, where we are going to have a quick break with some instrumental McCartney music <laughs> so we can crack on with the business that is this week's housekeeping. Starting off, what do we have in terms of news for today? Well, first of all, we have an absolutely Mahusive follow-up from a previous story that we've covered on a new segment. In a previous episode, we talked about that painting that all four of the Beatles contributed to and painted at the same time whilst holed up in their Tokyo Hilton presidential suite during their 1966 tour and how that was going up for auction. Well, estimates were for it to go between $400,000 to $600,000, but they were off. Well off. On the 1st of February, the work, titled Images of a Woman, sold for a grand total of $1.7 million, with fees, at Christie's Auction House in New York. It was consigned to Christie's annual, quote-unquote, exceptional sale, an event held in New York, London and Paris that includes rare masterpieces with important provenances. The identity of the buyer remains undisclosed, but... Hey, it could be Paul, you never know, he might want his painting back, or at least his quarter of it. Then, for our next story, we have yet further proof that the Beatles are going stronger than ever. Not only are they topping auction houses, but also award shows, as the Beatles have won yet another fucking Grammy. Yes, at the 66th Annual Grammy Awards, the Beatles won the Grammy for Best Music Video for I'm Only Sleeping, directed by M. Cooper. 
The video, of course, was released with the Revolver box set, and for anyone confused as to why such an old video is now being nominated and winning, well, the window for entry is startlingly early for the Grammys. The 2024 awards that we just had only considered releases from October 1st, 2022 to September 15th, 2023. So, for anyone keeping track of the dates, that window is four months before the ceremony and six weeks before the release of Now and Then. So, Now and Then will likely be nominated at the awards this time next year. And so, we will have to wind the clock back and remember the fact that the video for I'm Only Sleeping was fucking awesome and deserves that Grammy. Hey, it could be another gimme just to get Paul or Ringo to come to the award show, but I really don't care. It's always nice to have the Beatles be a part of the cultural zeitgeist some 60 years on still, and this is just another part of that. For our next piece, of course, we have to cover the release of the Band on the Run Half Speed Master, this album is the latest release in this ongoing 50th anniversary half-speed master series that Paul has been doing for the last few years now. Earlier last year for Record Store Day, we had the Red Rose Speedway release, and thankfully, unlike that album, Band on the Run is a proper release with proper availability on McCartney's own site and other online retailers. There is also a unique selling point with this particular half-speed remaster, Yes, in order to fully capitalise on the marquee value of the Band on the Run name, MPL has also released a two-disc format of the album that includes a bonus disc of material known as the Underdub Mixes. No, this isn't dubstep or anything like that, don't panic. These underdubs are essentially an inversion of overdubs and are just early mixes that they recorded in Lagos before overdubbing them slash finishing them off back in the UK. And folks, they are eye-opening to say the least. And I do speak about it a bit with TJ in this episode, and I am going to be doing an episode about it with Vinyl Benji very soon. But yeah, there's a lot to say about these underdub mixes. And like TJ says in this episode, they really aren't as superfluous as most of us thought. They really do bear some analysis and assessment. I don't want to give too many spoilers at this point, but if you've heard my previous thoughts on these half-speed masters, well, let's just say the quality is as consistent as ever. Then, in super recent news, we've just passed the 60th anniversary of the Beatles appearing on The Ed Sullivan Show. On the 9th of February 1964, John, Paul, George and Ringo performed a total of five songs, including All My Loving, Till There Was You, She Loves You, I Saw Her Standing There, and I Want To Hold Your Hand, to a total audience of 73 million viewers. And then changed rock and roll history and cultural history and history in general in the process. This iconic moment secured their legacy as American idols and world idols, and it was from here where true Beatlemania began. They wanted to crack America, and they did. This is the 60th anniversary of them doing so. And, yeah, I do kind of joke about how every American has an Ed Sullivan Beatles story that they love to tell, but... In all seriousness, I do understand and appreciate just how mind-bending and reality-altering an experience it must have been at the time. 
Like, I've never had a life-altering Beatle experience in that way, with my fandom being built much more slowly. And so, in all likelihood, I am probably just jealous of the fact that I have never had that exact, pure, mainline, main vein, heroin hit of Beatlemania that America got that day. In addition to all of the corny media coverage showing the same two clips over and over again on every platform about this topic, Apple has also decided to commemorate the occasion by releasing a special new celebratory vinyl set. And I do mean this is a set, this is a complete package, it's fucking gorgeous, and it includes four seven-inch singles of all the songs they performed on that show, I'm guessing B-sides make up the fifth track, uh, there's a very sexy yellow carry case, and then an actual mini record player slash turntable. It is the complete package. Like, if you want to relive Ed Sullivan, all you need is this set. I have no idea how much it is, but I expect it's going to be a lot. You know, I can definitely see this, rather appropriately, being a lot like the Run Devil Run singles case. And hey, if anyone really likes the show, and you fancy picking one up for me, that wouldn't be the worst thing ever. And finally, in sports news, I wanted to give a quick shout out to the recent reunion between Paul McCartney and Taylor Swift. The pair were spotted together in one of the exclusive millionaire boxes at this year's Super Bowl slash big game. Nothing to add to this. I just mentioned Taylor Swift in this chat with TJ, so I just thought it would I'd bring it up. Plus, they're really cute together. And I wanted something a little lighter to end on. And now that the news is over, it is time for the plugs. To get in contact with the show, drop us an email at paulmccartneypod at gmail.com. I always like to indulge in any and all correspondence between you, the fans, and this show. And you know, normally it comes in the form of like Paul McCartney stories, encounters, that kind of thing. But very occasionally, after I put in a little bit of effort, I do just get the odd congratulatory, the odd complimentary email. And after I released the bumper mahoosive Denny Lane episode, I did get a few comments that I wanted to read out. The first is from a very kind gentleman by the name of Tim. You might find his YouTube channel under the name of Judge Timbers. And he says, Hi Sam, thank you so much for your recent tribute episode celebrating Denny Lane. I enjoyed all four and a half hours of it truly widescreen podcasting indeed. And in particular, I found your words towards the end of the show quite moving. Although I was generally familiar with Denny's story, I learned many new things from you. For instance, I never fully appreciated how involved Denny was with the songs on Tug of War and Pipes of Peace for that matter. As fate would have it, I saw Denny perform in concert for the first and only time this past February of 2023 at the City Winery in Philadelphia during his Acoustic Songs and Stories tour. Denny was in fine form that night and genuinely seemed to be enjoying telling his many rock and roll stories. Denny sure liked to tell his stories. He often spoke quite fondly of a certain Mr McCartney, as he called him. As I was quite fortunate to be seated on the front row that night, I was able to shake Denny's hand from the stage after the show, which is a memory I will always cherish. During your podcast, you said that you did not want to discuss all of Denny's unreleased tracks, which I quite understand. However, I was surprised that you did not mention his song called Below the Waterline. Although unreleased, as far as I know, Denny has been performing it for several years in concert and did so at my show in Philly. If you're not aware, Denny wrote the song about his relationship with Paul. 
Basically, Denny makes the point in the song that despite some of the negative things that may have been publicly reported that below the waterline, the truth is, is that he and Paul remain close friends, sharing a strong history and a bond. Whilst we may never know with certainty if that was true, it is surely how I would like to view their relationship. I find the song to be warm, genuine and quite heartfelt. It surely deserves a place of honour in the Paul or Nothing universe. Several of Denny's live performances of Below the Waterline are available on YouTube, such as this link posted by your friend, Chloe Costello. I even feebly attempted to cover it on my own YouTube channel, trying to imagine a more fully produced track. Thanks again, Sam, for remembering Denny and all of the hard work you put into each and every episode of your podcast. All the best, Tim, a.k.a. Judge Timbers on YouTube. Wow, Tim, thank you so much for that email. That is so uh, wonderful. I'm I'm blushing, I really am. It's, again, as many of you know, it's always a rare occasion when I'm lost for words, but, you know, how how do you respond to that without blushing? Although, very good point about Below the Waterline. I can't believe I didn't include that, because... I had heard of it, I I can't believe it just completely slipped my mind, but as I said in the episode, you know, we'd already approached the four hour mark and I didn't want to start looking at too many other songs. I think I just put in that weird brothers and sisters one just because it was a bit out there and unexpected. But yeah, thank you so much for reminding me of that. And I will be hiding below the waterline at the end of this episode as well. There are actually two secret songs at the end of this episode, folks. Don't shout at me. But yeah, Tim, I am oh so jealous that you managed to see Denny Lane live. Of course, I never have myself. I am definitely green for sure. But most importantly, thank you again for your kind words about the podcast. It is certainly appreciated. And folks, do go and check out his YouTube channel and his cover of Below the Waterline. For our next email, we have another Tim writing in. This time, his name is Tim Hallis, and he says, Hi Sam, I'd not heard of your podcast before. I think a personal tweet just before Christmas brought you to me. I just wanted to say a big thank you for the Denny episode. What a marathon, and what a first episode for me. Your Birmingham connection brought an extra bit of personality to the topic, and I really appreciate your loving but unvarnished approach. I do have a copy somewhere of Holidays, brought it in the 80s, but you drove me to Spotify, where I did manage to find Wings at the Sound of Denny Lane. An interesting listen, something of a mixed bag in my view, but the strength of the songwriting, Denny and Paul alike, carried it through. Anyway, thanks again. You've got a new subscriber to the pod and YouTube. Peace and love, Tim Hallis. Ah, oh, Tim, you are too kind. You are too kind. It's always nice to speak to any fan of holidays of course that is and always will be one of my favorite albums and i am oh so glad that you did like wings at the sound of denny lane because there was a part of me that thought oh gosh i might be having to apologize for introducing this man to this album but no you are right some of the tracks are a little off shall we say but there are a few covers covers there are a few redos a few reproductions here that are definitely worth looking into and i'm probably going to do something with wings at the speed of denny lane one day but that for me like an anthology four would be as george said scraping the bottom of the barrel a bit 
Again though, Tim, thank you so much for your kind words. Again, I'm so glad you enjoyed the Denny episode. If it was a marathon for you listening to it, God, God, don't even picture what it was like for me putting it together. Again, should have made it into two episodes, but oh well. Thank you again for emailing in, Tim. Peace and love, peace and love. And finally, I just want to read a quick comment from one of our Patreon patrons, Warren Butson. You'll probably hear his name shortly. And he left a quick comment. He said, Respect, Sam. That was truly a most fitting tribute to Denny, and he would have gotten a kick out of hearing it. I loved your balanced view. Clearly, you admired him a lot for his values, which he stayed true to, despite it not always being the smartest move. Denny was, along with Linda, the essence of the wing's sound. A journeyman legend who was not interested in ego, just in decent music and playing. God bless, and I hope he's jamming up there with the best somewhere. Thanks, Sam. Job well done, sir. Warren, of course, you were one of the most loyal patrons in the Paul McCartney sphere. Thank you for your kind words there, as always. You are right, Denny, of course, is part of that core wing sound. There is no denying that whatsoever. And the idea of Denny like not always doing the best thing for, say, his career or his image, but staying true to himself, is what makes him such an interesting and enigmatic character. And I think it's why so many people have responded to his story and his narrative and his life. And probably why so many people like you have enjoyed this episode. Thank you, Warren. I'm sure I'll be seeing you around in the future, of course. And that is the end of the correspondence section there, folks. I'm sorry that so much of that was basically just wanking me off. But hey, this is the email segment. It is what it is. I can't I can't help it, you know, if I do do occasional good work on this show. It's rare, I know, it's rare, but when it when it does happen, I do like to brag just a little bit. But yeah, the emails are done. Let's just get through the plugs and back to the chat. To get in contact with the show, again, email us at paulmccartneypod at gmail.com. Follow us on our Twitter page, which is at McCartneyPod. To check out Paul or Nothing Written content, check out the blog, which is paulmccartneypod.wordpress.com. You can also get the new episodes there as well. Check us out on the socials, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube by typing in Paul or Nothing or Paul McCartney Podcast. Of course, on YouTube, you can find all of our episodes for Macca in Your Attic, which is our sister sideshow where me and a guest go through their Paul McCartney slash Beatle memorabilia collections. If you like the show, you'll definitely love that. And TJ was a guest back in the day. Go and check out our episode there as well. There'll be a link included down below. If you want to help out the show directly for free in a way that takes less than 30 seconds, please leave us some form of online engagement, whether it's a like, a thumbs up, a tick, some stars, a comment, a retweet, a post on a Facebook group, sending a link to a friend, shouting about it on the bus. I don't care what it is. If you could just help us with the algorithm, that'd be absolutely swell. Come on. You know you know you want to help. You know you do. <laughs> but if you want to deep dive, if you want to get in the weeds with Paul or nothing and help us directly, then please consider joining our Patreon family. Patreon, as I'm sure you all know by now, is the platform by which you, the public, can support independent content creators such as myself. I do the show, obviously, whilst working a full-time job and I don't have any ads in it. So if you like what I do here at Paul or nothing and you want to support the show in some way, then you can chuck a few dollars at my face down the internet every month. 
but it's not just a gimme. You get early access to all episodes of Paul or Nothing. You get early access to all episodes of Macca in your attic. You get access to the Paul or Nothing video feed. So like with this episode, I did a Zoom interview with TJ and that went on the Patreon straight away, unedited and with video. So you are getting it raw and how it happened. Lots of bonus little goodies there. You get access to bonus lost and deleted episodes of Paul or Nothing. You get access to all of the scripts that I use for each episode. And there is also the Paul or Nothing vlog series where I do a few extra bonus episodes here or there, though there are over 20 of them by now, where I cover loads of topics that don't quite have the time to be a full episode of Paul or Nothing but they are things that I do definitely find interesting. So if any of that sounds fun to you, if you want to get any of that extra Paul or Nothing content, that exclusive content, then check out our Patreon page. Links down below. Yada, yada, yada. But before we get back to the episode, we cannot go any further without giving a shout out to said Patreon family, the lifeblood of the show and the people to whom I am in eternal debt. People such as... Carol E. Cantor, This Swan, Sam Hode, Nikolai Hauptman, Pete, Steve Lanham, Isabella Diaz, Stephanie Bradley, John Carp, Brian Brigman, Boz76, Jeff Hume, Percy Thullington himself, David Staberski, Andy Cochran, Guy Jenkinson, Nancy Twoey, Richard Campbell, Christopher Newman, Broderick Harper, Chris Atkinson, Teresa Breda, Cheryl McCoy, Lou DiLonardo, Robert A. Carabelli, Warren Butson, who we heard from earlier, Cheryl McCoy, and my man, Matt Phillips himself. And now that all of that is out of the way, I'm sorry it took so long with the email. Whenever we have an email segment here on the show, it always pads out that runtime, doesn't it? Oh, I keep saying I'm trying to get these episodes short, but I'm not succeeding, am I, folks? <laughs> anyway, let's get back to my conversation with TJ Shanoff, where we are talking about Run, Devil, Run. I believe we're on song six by now. Let's go. Next one is Lonesome Town. There's a place where lovers go To cry their troubles away And they call it Lonesome Town I think this is where the album starts to become a little bit poorly sequenced. I don't like the idea of the double hitter of No Other Baby and Lonesome Town. I feel like they should have been split apart just a little bit too, uh, a little bit further. We're kind of being brought to an un unnecessary halt for me. Uh, it's it's not derailing the album per se. I just wish something else was in between these two tracks. Am I focusing too much on this here? Do do, do you like the one-two punch? to the gut. I do. 
I feel like it's building his narrative because I know we'll get to the song that follows in just a moment, but he follows it up with an upbeat original where he's reminding himself to try not to cry. So I think this is a mini song mm -hmm. suite. You know, other than Blue Jean Bop, he opens with three rockers and then you've got three songs that really delve into sadness. I think it's intentional. And for that, I give him a pass on the odd sequencing from a rock album standpoint, but I think the emotional sequencing mm -hmm. for his catharsis. The best version for this for me is the one that he did at the uh, concert for Linda, which he did like a, a yes. month after he recorded this this version. His voice breaks, yes. This is definitely one of the more out there and daring productions on this piece, and I, I really do enjoy what Paul does with it. Of course, the um, Ricky Nelson version there's a place like oh my god it's I, I i didn't know that it was going to go that deep it's also one of the standouts for gilmore as well we, yes. we don't get a lot of big solo moments for him but with lonesome town you can just like see paul just going yeah go on go off son and they let gilmore just completely rip it up in the studio a hundred percent and pete wingfield's piano on this is delicious those triplets Blum, 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 blum. Yeah, there's there's a lot of fun rock and roll piano on this album, but for me, my favourite kind of rock and roll piano is just the same note being banged constantly throughout the entire song. Just din, 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 din. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's just the over sim, uh, simplicity yeah. of it. We actually don't get a lot of piano on this album, and I think a lot of that is because Paul's not the lead pianist. He is strictly bass throughout this entire album, uh, but. We do get a little bit of that later on with Coquette. Yes. Let's let's move on to this uh, third part of the triptych that we were talking about, another original called Try Not To Cry. Sometimes I'm right, sometimes I'm wrong. How can I help it but don't know the song? All day I try to be a man. Help me to do it, show me the plan. I want to enjoy being alive Don't want to leave before I arrive I like to sing, I sing along How can I do it if I don't know the song? Look, you don't need to be a lyrical expert to work out what he's, uh, what he's singing about here. I want to enjoy being alive, don't want to leave before I arrive. I like to sing, I sing along. How can I do it? I don't know the song. Great lyrics. Paul's very much laying it out. I wouldn't say great lyrics. They're a little corny for me, especially the, the opening line. Like, sometimes I'm right. Sometimes, sometimes I'm wrong. I'm wrong. <laughs> it feels like a songwriting line that you just kind of use. I mean, it almost feels like a placeholder lyric that doesn't have the beauty of, like, the movement is on your shoulder or something like that. But what I like about Try Not To Cry is that like more so than Run Devil Run, it's a lot more successful in imitating a song from the 1950s that Paul has discovered that just we've never heard. 
to me, this does sound like something that Little Richard or Elvis could have had on some B-side somewhere. It totally fits in with, with the context of the album. Again, Run Devil Run might be the best song, but it for me, it doesn't really fit in with the rest of the track listing, whereas this one is a step in the right direction. Yeah, this one is not Paul's most complicated song, but where I give him some credit for starting off with <laughs> sometimes I'm right, sometimes yeah. I'm wrong. You know, yeah, they are placeholder in one respect. In another, he's telling us how he's feeling emotionally. He's trying to mm-hmm. get over Linda's passing and the incredible hole that that has given in his life. And he doesn't know how to deal with it. And sometimes he's right, sometimes he's wrong. I think it's a, it's a line where he's he's letting his feelings be known. It's kind of got kind of a cool, like almost a '70s spin on '50s rock. The bam, 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 It's got kind of a nice. Yeah. It, it, it feels like. It's Shada nah. It's just Shada nah. I, I was going to say, it's got like 50s music filtered through a little cheap trick. This to me kind of has a cheap tricky feel to it, <laughs> which is inherently Beatles inspired. Rockford, Illinois, own cheap trick. Yeah, I, I dig the song. It's another great McCartney original. I mean, I, I know you may disagree, but I would take this and any of the three McCartney originals over every song on Driving Rain. There is a part of me, like the kind of overly douchey critic that thinks that this is a bit throwaway. But I, I do catch myself singing along to it every time it's, it's on. Like, try, try, try. Like, and I, I, I can imagine being in the crowd, jumping at it and loving it. Like, no one's saying that this isn't album filler because some of Paul's album filler is some of the greatest music ever. Yes. It is what it is. Um, and it knows what it is, even though it's not what it is. Try and keep up, folks. Uh, <laughs> You are um, what it is. This song knows what it is, quote unquote, and it does it pretty serviceably. For me, though, it's not quite as good as the last original that we'll get to shortly. Although I would say, out of all of the originals, though, this is the one that I would like to see Blue Jean boppified in terms of like them doing it in an actual 50s style. I'd be very interested okay. to hear And also Paul talking about this song on the interview with Laura Gross is just funny because he... Like, he talks for about an hour with no hint that he sat next to a piano at all. And then he goes, so like, I tried to introduce it like this, like sometimes, boom, 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 boom. And he starts playing it. I'm like, you could have mentioned this an hour ago, Paul, surely. <laughs> surely it's important that you're sat next to a piano. You are Mr. Piano Man. But um, <laughs> yeah, I, I guess not. Moving on to what might be, could be my favourite song on the album. This is Movie Mag. Now let me take you to the movie Max so I can hold your hand. Oh, it ain't that I don't like yours, it's just that dog on map. And a double barrel behind the door, it waits for me, I know. Oh, climb upon old Becky's back and let's ride to the picture show. I only see her once a week and that's when my work is through. I break new ground the whole week long when my mind sets straight on you. And I've polished up my old horse back and she looks good, I know. So climb up on old Becky's back and let's ride to the picture show. Now won't you let me take you to the show so I can hold your hand. Oh, it ain't that I don't like your house, it's just that dog old man. 
And that double barrel behind the door that waits for me, I know. So climb upon old Becky's back and let's ride to the field. Ever since I first heard it, I thought it was the catchiest thing ever. I've been singing it to myself. I've learned it on guitar. Perkins' version, with its charming little story, is totally winning on its own. But then having Paul do it, as cliche as the phrase is, it takes the song to the next level. It just does. Next level. The next level. In a world where Movie Mac has not been covered for 57 years, <laughs> one man, <laughs> McCartney, will level up this summer. Go get Becky's bike. <laughs> if you're Mick Green. <laughs> yeah, man. The next three songs are some of my favorite moments on the McCartney record. Oh, this song it's just, it's just is hit after great. Hit after hit. Yeah. yeah. I'm telling you, how many McCartney albums, covers, live, studio, wings, solo, do you have this many trios of great songs? And like, they are linked. They are that they are linked, and I'm probably going to have to talk about this in, in my uh, in my talk now. Note to self: first of all, it's mad that the Beatles, when George Harrison was a member, never did Movie Mag at all. There's not yeah. a single Hamburg set list where they, where 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 they played this. Maybe it was a bit too old and kitsch for them, even even at that point. But what I like about this song is they didn't blue jean bop it. They didn't make it very, very retro, but they uh, they dipped one toe in that older world, and that does create a very welcome change of pace on the album. Like another hard hitting rocker now. I'm, I'm like, oh, okay, come on. Like we've had enough of that for a, a little bit, but the fact that we get a tip of the hat to rockabilly really is fun. And in many ways, you could see this track as the obligatory or as close as you can get to the the de facto Paul McCartney acoustic picking number on any one of his albums. I mean, you don't really hear acoustic guitar on the rest of this album, but here at this little mid midpoint, it is a, a welcome addition to the overall textures that we've been getting so far. To, to what you're saying, I can add one thing. It adds a ripping guitar solo that takes us to a key change. I mean, mm. that's one great, and like a little bit like Blue Jean Bop, it's simple, it gallops, it's acoustic, and then all of a sudden comes this guitar solo that feels. Both, oh, it's so yeah, good. and yeah. it 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 feels both out of place and perfectly in place. It's a surprise when it enters. To me, it sounded like what if Carl Perkins was at the Oscars that year and had to do Movie Mag and what his solo would have sounded like updated in the kind of mid-90s. Um, there's Because there's there's quite a few projects that we have to draw from that Carl did around this time. And it, it, it so just nails his style. It's it, it's, yeah. it is just oozing Perkins. Talk to your doctor if that happens to you. <laughs> I hope he. I hope he doesn't, he doesn't have a double barrel behind behind the door. <laughs> but um, just to overthink this one a little, it's interesting that in this post Linda album, he would sing about a song that is so uh, so much about young teenage love. Because part of the way I've viewed this album is that he's regressing to a point that is literally pre Linda. He's post-death of his mother. He's pre-Linda, yep. which is the ultimate rock and roll period for him. There's no responsibility of childbirth or 
you know, his massive empire. He's not lost the love of his life. And the fact that it's a little love story about a guy getting the girl on his on his mule, it's so simple and pure. It's hard not to, you know, project my thoughts about Linda onto it, I guess. So I can hold your hand and it it closes side A. And that's what's nice too. Is oh, does the it rockers, on, on yeah. the vinyl? That's yeah. Oh, that's great. It's, it's a wonderful close for side A. Yeah. Oh, so the next track is the opener for side two. That's awesome. How about okay, that? So he, yeah, brown-eyed handsome man. said on the last episode i thought that this was going to be brown eyed girl by van morrison and i thought it was quite an incongruous <laughs> pick but uh yeah paul working at a cruise ship hey where do we go paul it's not your song they do that on every cruise ship over and over again of course there was a <laughs> jesus get out they're about to do it <laughs> yeah i want to see abe dance to this one <laughs> yeah, I'm the drums, young master Christopher. No, that's Abe. <laughs> of course, there is a Buddy Holly version of this. So at first, I thought that Paul was doing the Buddy one, but again, if you look at the dates, it could only be the Chuck Berry version of yes. the song that he is recalling. Obviously, John had a bunch of issues with Chuck Berry in terms of being forced to include them on an album. And so it's nice to see a Beatle including Chuck Berry purely out of his own will, his own choice, not not being forced to do it. And in a related manner, we know that Paul is very good at taking what's clearly a Chuck Berry song, i.e. Come Together, and zhuzhing it up a little bit. And the addition of the accordion player on this yeah. song, oh my God, it's perfect. It's just... Perfect, TJ. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. Yeah, it, like, it, it takes that, that 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 awkward kind of stop-start rhythm that the Chuck Berry one's got, that early rock and roll chug-a-chug, and it's just this flowing... It's it's so smooth and crisp. It's, it, it's one of the best-produced things on the album. And one of the most admirably weird music videos you'll ever see in your life. If you haven't seen it, press pause and go watch the music video because it's admirable. It's like late 90s Ebony and Ivory intended, and it comes off as being real. Oh, no. Oh, no. I've never seen. Oh, no. This is live, everyone. (laughs) Buddy. Was the So Solid crew coming out? Oh no. <laughs> Just wait. 
It's like we are the world, ebony and ivory, and I'm, I know that's what I'm saying. This is the worst thing I've ever said. I'm glad I could expose this to you. Oh my god, no! And it keeps building and oh, building. Oh no, why the policemen involved now? <laughs> I know. Tie it, bring peace to the neighborhood. It almost feels like a Ricky Gervais character who's trying not to be racist. Yes, it's like a scene from it's, it's like part of part of the office or from extras. You're totally right. And then like and then just Jim Halpert looks at the camera and goes, you know, oh my God. <laughs> I love this song and Yeah. It's yeah. killer, there's no filler to it. Um, it's got that great New Orleans feel. Then you go on to what I believe is the second best McCartney original on here. This song is a stomper and a rocker. What it is, is what it, it is, is. It is what it is. Yeah, yeah. We... You are what it is that makes the world go around for me. You are what I need to make me feel good about myself. You see, I love you so much. I can never do without you touch. Sattler and Waldorf would be very... Is it Statler or Sadler and Waldorf? They would be very yeah, yeah. happy with... Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Again, as I kind of alluded to earlier, this song succeeds for me because it is so by the book and by the numbers that it, it could not fail but be what it is. For me, the success of a song is whether it, 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 it achieves the objective that it's set out to do. And if Paul's objective was to create a song that sounds like a really crappy, obscure rock and roll track from the 50s, then 10 out of 10, A+, because that is exactly what it sounds like. And it sounds like I'm being glib and condescending and that I don't like the song. And that is not the case. Again, I, I love it for what it is. It does evoke that rock and roll sound so well. I mean, it's got a middle eighth that's lyrically incomprehensible. That's very 1950s for me. Yeah, uh, I, I don't know a single word that is that is being sung except for you know your what touch. I love you so much. <laughs> I love it. The the playing is so tight, Sam. Even the, the arrangement. You bam got what it is. What it is. <laughs> it's so well done. It's Paul being a rock. It's so Even theatrical though, as well. And the way it ends, yo, what it is, it just ends like a like a great R and B tune. Like, yeah, I think it's a great fucking track. And it ends in like the opposite way that all of the other kind of big rockers on this album start because a lot of them start with that that vocal that's just on its own, but puts a little twist on it, and he ends the song on a pure vocal, which is yep. actually actually quite fun. This is another one, obviously, that was written around the time of, of uh, Linda's death. But unlike all the other tracks where we kind of have to use our own paradolia and project, he also has directly said that. No, no, this is literally about Linda. One last quick question before we start wrapping this up. 
Is this the last album of the classic McCartney vocal? I think it's hard to say that because I want to say, well, maybe, but then I think about one of my favorite Egypt station tracks that wasn't on it. Uh, excuse me. It was a B side of a single called let's get started where at the end he's going, let's start it now. And he's really no. screaming yeah. in an authoritative yeah. way. So he can still, it's almost like an old NBA player who can't dunk as much as he used to, but, once every five games, he'll jump from the free throw line and dunk over a dude 20 years younger than him. And that's LeBron. Uh, that's LeBron. Michael can do Michael. I'm talking Michael Jordan. Talking LeBron. Paul can do that with his voice. He can't do it as frequently. But yes, in terms of full albums, it's a last of the classic McCartney album uh, vocal era, I think. What it is, it is what it is. Yep. It writes itself. But we're going to move on to a track that taught me a new word, coquette. doesn't know it means a flirtatious woman particularly one who knows how to charm men to her advantage mm. tj do we need to bring coquette back into the lexicon is that why we were put on this earth do we need to bring back coquette well it's my favorite eric clapton tune about white powder oh no that's <laughs> cocaine don't want to get that wrong yeah let's let's bring coquette back because i love fat domino and the whole opening with a Oh, he's doing it! He's doing it! Hear me! Hear me! <laughs> That's Domino. Never has a still hand for more than a millisecond. He's always he's just doing that constantly, and that's why hey, I love man. it. Talk to his wife. <laughs> <laughs> also, a coquette yeah. sounds like a great like name for a female coke addict. Like, oh, she, oh, she's a coquette. Please welcome Ray Charles and the coquettes. <laughs> totally. Let me tell you, I don't get no respect these coquettes. Um, <laughs> but yeah, look, ever since I saw the Rick Moranis, Steve Martin comedy caper, My Blue Heaven, yes. I've been in love with Fats Domino. Yeah. There's a couple of his compilation albums on Spotify and there's not a single one that I don't love whether it's one that Paul's covered, like Ain't That a Shame, or one that he hasn't, like Blueberry Hill. It's it's just pure schmaltzy sentiment uh, through and through and through, and you know why Paul loves this kind of music. Um, Paul uh, admits in interviews that this is just him doing Fats, and I'm totally fine with that. Fats is awesome. Paul is one of the greatest musical impersonators there is. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a... It, it's a 
it's foolproof, really, when, and the results are proof are proof of that. Hundred percent. When Fats Domino lost everything to Hurricane Katrina, Paul contributed to a tribute album. And mm. what song does he? Oh, he does. Um, I wanna walk you home. Paul does a great <laughs> cover of that. Please let me walk you home. Paul, so look for that. It's on the Fats oh Domino my tribute God. album from 05 or 06 poster and Kate Katrina called I Want to Walk You Home. And it's great. Walk you home, McCartney. Hang on, folks. Oh, with Alan Toussaint as well. Oh, my word. This sounds awesome. Pretty great. Um, I mean, look, folks, the two best tracks off Chopper are the two Fats Domino tr- yes. tunes. That is... Yeah. Um, oh, also, thank you, Spotify, for not including I'm Gonna Be a Wheel Someday on the streaming versions of this song. Yeah. I mean, they re-released it uh, on that yellow-coloured vinyl a few years ago, and they're repressing that, and they still haven't put the extra tracks on. Pull a finger out, NPL. What, has Putin got the masters or something? You know. <laughs> That's right. It's I blame Putin for a lot. I don't know if you can get Fabulous on Spotify from Run Devil Run, the bonus No, track. you can't. Yes. You can't. No. Oh, no, well, no, you can because of the singles box set, but you can't get it on oh, Run right. Devil Run. Smart man. Smart McAfee. Following on, and for our next song, we have yet another affirmation of the great Elvis Presley. This is I Got Stung. Holy smokes, land saints alive and never thought this would happen to me. And here we are, folks. We are at what I would consider to be the high point of the album, without question, and it comes in the form of two back-to-back 10 out of 10 bangers from Paul. They rock hard, kick ass, take names, the whole shebang. I mean, if I had to pick a poster child or children for this album, it's going to be these next two songs. And I Got Stung is half of that. It's so theatrical. Paul's a very theatrical guy. And like you can feel him squeezing every last bit of juice out of like every moment of this song from the from like the opening to those big dramatic beats in the in the chorus uh-huh i got stung like just that little moment of silence that's pure mccartney that is yeah. tj i i feel like you're about to be agreeing with me a lot which is uncharacteristic for us actually we've we've already agreed too much this episode well, then I'm going to have to say thumbs down to this. I think I prefer, as a, as a true rock song, I think I prefer Waterfalls or, you know, Denny's Deliver Your Children. So I guess we disagree on what a rock... No. <laughs> Deliver Your Children. Denny, stop singing about kids. 
<laughs> well, I mean, he he was stuck on a boat with Paul's two kids, so there probably wasn't much else to write about, really. That's a great point. Paul's always on a boat. I love it, metaphorically and literally. <laughs> I love this song. I always equate his opening to this to the opening of I'm Down. It's the same mm. spirit and the same rock yell. He delivers this Elvis tune like it's a little Richard tune, and that's badass. Yes. I mean, Paul always talks about how the opening to this song is like one of his favorites on the album, but All Shook Up's got a great vocal intro as well, as does Honey Hush. And what I do love, the the uh, the little intro here, it's, it's, it's probably not my favorite. Paul clearly loved it, though. That's all that matters. Um, I haven't really talked about Paul much as a bassist yet, and I think this is a good time to bring up what Ian Pace said about McCartney's bass playing on this album, because it is typified here, which is that it's very Ringo-esque. It's not flashy. It's not particularly intricate, but it's the exact note you need at those exact moments. And yeah, yes. some some bass players are looking at me going now, saying, well, Sam, he's just playing the root notes. And I know he's just playing the root notes. I'm not that dense, but he, my God, does he play those root notes well. To me, I hear more than root notes in these very simple songs. I hear moving bass lines that fit and surprise. And he and Ian Pace are locked in the way he and Ringo were locked in. This oh. feels like, here's the thing. As much as I really, really love Choba BCCCP, I feel like that felt like a group of session musicians that yeah. Paul brought together. It it's very polished. This feels like guys who've been playing together for a long time. And that's not the case. And in fact, there was no rehearsal. Paul was calling out oldies for this and then telling the band how it went. And then they were recording it with Chris Thomas. So yeah, this to me, and this song typifies it. It's almost like, fuck, I'll say it this way. This whole <laughs> album feels like a Beatle doing the backbeat soundtrack. It's got that same kind of... <laughs> <laughs> I know Backbeat was what seven, eight yeah. years before this came out, but this is the closest Paul of like with all due respect to cut me some slack, which I never really loved. This feels like kind of a like almost it's got a Green Day quality to it. They're just rocking the fuck out. I think some people would be a bit sore the idea that Paul has finally delivered us this rock album that we've wanted from him. But he's doing it on his terms. It's like, so you, you want an album of all rockers, do you? Well, only three are going to be originals. Like you're never going to—he's never going to give us exactly what we want. Um, and and I—I kind of like that. I kind of like that. And yeah. what he does do with this album is prove that it doesn't matter that they're not originals anyway. And the songs he does do are great. They're bangers in ways, as we mentioned earlier, that McCartney yeah, yeah, yeah. songs on albums usually aren't. Hell yeah, I love oh. this record. Is there ever going to be a revival? Like, you know how we've had like the Revolver revival and stuff. Is there ever going to be a day when Elvis is not the number one Beatles influence? Do you think one day maybe it'll be like, oh, no, no. Scholars conclude that it's actually Little Richard or Carl Perkins is the real Beatles influence, you know? You know, Sam, I know there's differing opinions on this, but my answer to that question and the beauty of the Beatles is I believe all of those artists were as important to the Beatles as a whole as any one individual artist, whether it's Elvis or Carl Perkins or Little Richard. 
I mean, the songs they covered, uh, Ray Charles, Richie Barrett, some other guy. That's one that I'm always sad never had like a proper EMI studio version of that cover because that's that's a, a great one, too. So, yeah, I think all the Beatles influences landed in this big soup, whether it's Till There Was You or, you know, Sophie Tucker or whoever the fuck it was. The Beatles absorbed it and made it their own thing. It's the beauty of the Beatles. I wish that they'd have done that. You know, that George Formby song that opens up living in the material world. I don't know why. I just think that would be a fun one for them for them to do. You know, <laughs> oh, what a happy band. You know, that, that really jaunty, we're going to survive World War II sheet. Uh-huh. Anyway, we've not just got one heavy hitter in this part of the album. He really is going to start winding things up with the band because we move on to Honey Hush. And again, I am just drooling over this heavier McCartney. I, I'm so happy that that he's giving it to us here. Uh, it's rare for him to ever have two rockers in a row on a good day. So yeah. for him to do this now is just so satisfying as a fan. A solo Paul rocker can hit pretty hard, but here, rather than cancelling each other out, they do build on each other. And it's almost exhausting by the time you actually get to the end of Honey Hush. It's so enthusiastic and quick-paced and over-the-top, and I find myself increasingly unable to resist the sheer energy on display here. Like, this is the complete opposite of the relaxed yachting family holiday that was Flaming Pie. This is balls-to-the-walls McCartney, and I'm appreciating it while I still have it, TJ. Yeah, that's really well said, Sam. And I would say Flaming Pie is a, is acoustic, beautiful McCartney in a genius way, just as this is beautiful, hard rock McCartney in a genius way. You're seeing both sides of Paul, both albums soaked in sadness, whether the death of Maureen, uh, Linda dying, uh, in uh, Beatles anthology, a lot finishing up free as a bird and real love and thinking of John being on his mind more than he had, you know, when they were recording uh, free as a bird and then real love and attempting now and then that's what 14 years after Lennon's murder. So a lot mm. of time is, uh, has gone by. So the sadness that influences both of these albums make them both different flaming pie and run devil run. I mean, than any other two albums in McCartney's catalog, because no albums are soaked in sadness. Maybe McCartney, the first one, but that was less sadness and more. Mm. What the fuck am I doing? 
what's going on here. Why my friends left me. Why my, that that album was more of a psychosis. These two are just kind of soaked in sadness. Yeah. Well, come on, Karina Crore, everybody be cool. The best solo McCartney song, of course. It's his Tomorrow Never Knows, my man. No, it's his Carnival of Light. That's really what it is. Um, <laughs> That's right. George didn't want Karina Croy released either. Yes. Um, Paul uh, brought it in and the lads didn't like it. So we didn't, we didn't put it on the album. Um, you've brought up something interesting there, though. Like, obviously, age is a factor. But say if the 30-year-old McCartney made Ram now, 40, 50 years on from the Beatles breakup, it would not still end up being Ram. It would be way more chill. It would be rose-tinted. It'd be like, oh, look at all the great times we had, drinking Monkberry Moon Delight. You know, that's the tone it would go. Whereas, you are right. Um, Well, I mean, this is probably the same for every McCartney album, but more so with Run, Devil, Run. It is so unbelievably rooted in the context of the time it it was made, both for good and and for bad, both in how it it rocks and in how it's sad. I mean, it's, it's another one of those... McCartney um, dichotomy, whatever. Dichotomy, yeah, dichotomy, juxtaposition. Gonna, sure, juxtaposition. <laughs> I'm going to edit that in. It's just one of those classic McCartney uh, controversies and juxtapositions, really. Also, the Coasters did a version of a song called Yakety Yak about five years before Honey Hush, and obviously the opening to Honey Hush is "We're getting into this house." So, and then obviously Paul knows how good that sound is because he opened up every live gig around this era with that. Yeah. But was the phrase "yakety yak" all that common in the states in the fifties? Was everyone just walking around saying "yakety yak"? Well, being born in seventy-four, I can't answer that. I can tell you, no, there was but a come lot on, your co- parents would still be saying it. <laughs> no, my parents didn't say yakety yak, nor did they say take out the papers and the trash, because I never got any spending cash. I also never had to scrub a kitchen floor. I guess that's privilege. Did your parents ever kiss a goon? <laughs> or a bear? Uh, I, think, I think each other. <laughs> well, it depends, I guess. Depends. At least oh. one night in 73, which led to me in 74. At any rate. Hi-ho, hi-ho silver away, indeed. Um, uh-huh. Great job. Also, By the way, the opening of this one is mind-boggling, too. Yeah. The, no, I'd argue that saying, this is, yeah. it is, the, it is the best one for me. It's just, it it feels like time stops when Porter goes, Wah! it's like, oh, my. You know, you get that hair on the back of your neck standing up. Like, oh, it's perfect. Just, oh, I mean, it's so much, glib. Yeah. It is, it is, without sounding too cliché. And let me tell you something, Sam. He opened with this a couple times in the 2010s. He might have opened the Apollo show with this. It's kind of neat that he brought the song back beyond soundcheck and actually did it in set list. It shows you how tied this song is to his heart after all these years. And Paul knows what makes his own live shows good. Like, he is able to kind of step out of himself and not experience it the way we do, but he can, I mean... He's, very, he's a very observant person and he knows just how good it is to open up a silent room with where it's it, it, as a, I mean as opposed to no I'm thinking oh. well you got me dancing in a figure of eight that's what he uh, opened with when I saw oh, him the you first mean, two times mean, <laughs> also 
I don't know how they even put the album version of Figure of Eight on the album. The the Bob Clear Mountain or Clearwater single mix is just the Bob Clear Mountain. Yes, it's way yeah. better. It's hotter. It's a hotter yeah. guitar solo. And like it's yeah, clearly man. the one they play live as well. They are not doing the album version. Mm-mm. Oh, oh well, oh well. I mean, oh well. At least they didn't like you know do a really bad album version of We Got Married and then release that as a single or something. It's like no. Anyway. Yeah, but he did. They did. We got married live on the tour, and that, if I remember, was the My Valentine. Even though I was fourteen when I saw those shows, fourteen and fifteen respectively, I think I remember We Got Married being the My Valentine of that particular show. I think I think pe- people tolerated Rough Ride, but I think We Got Married was a bridge too far. Rough Ride got a pass because it was like the third or fourth song of the sh- of the yeah. set list. A hundred percent. In the same way that he puts like Fur You as like number five or six nowadays. Why? Uh, listen, uh, Paul, if you're listening, and I'm sure you are, I speak for Sam. Correct me. If no, I you, no, he doesn't, Paul. No, he doesn't. <laughs> Nobody comes to your shows to hear God bless him. We don't come to hear Queenie Eye. We don't come to hear Fayou. There are 20 million other songs you've written. We don't need Queenie Eye in 2024. We don't need it. My best friend Tom hates Come On To Me. And that's what gets me hard about that song. So like when we saw it together and I just heard, I just turned to him. I was so happy. I was so happy. Funny. The one time he has live horns, he's using it on Come On To Me. I've seen him 16 times. I've never seen him with horns. I've missed him since he's out of the horn section. Did he have horns? Yeah, he had horns when I, was, when, when I saw him. And um, I mean, my highlight of that show was, of course, I got to hear Wonderful Christmas Time because it was like yeah. December 20th, 2018, I believe. God, that, God, that was long ago. I was Crowd must oh. have gone nuts when he launched into Wonderful oh. Christmas Time. Yeah. Insane. And there was that very nice Japanese man who was sat next to me and he took photos of me all night and videos of me dancing and I never got his name or number. So there's just some man in Osaka somewhere <laughs> with about 20 minutes of of some crazy kid going mad in London. Check on the dark web for what he's done to those with AI, Sam. Look, I'm sure there, there are people who have called me very dishonorable and bringing shame. <laughs> Look, let's move on to the final stretch. Yes. Let's, sh- let's shake a hand. Just leave it to me. This is a little Richard obligatory cover. We knew that this was always going to be on here. But unfortunately, the annals of Little Richard covers by Paul McCartney is richly stocked. Richly stocked. 
And unfortunately, whilst not being a complete write-off, I would say I feel it's just a little bit average filler for me. I also kind of feel like we're getting a bit too long in the track listing here. I feel like this is where the album starts to run out of steam a little bit. I probably would have ended it on Honey Hush. Rebuttal! I agree with you, but it's another great opening and the kind of echo or reverb effect on his voice. I think it's a great kind of cool down after rocking out so hard. The whole, just leave it to me. Now, the first one, the first time he does it, he goes, just, and it, it cracks a little. That's yeah. gorgeous. And it's one of the it's best, gorgeous. like, kind of low to high, back and forth flirts he does. But he only does the trick the one time. I kind of wish he would have done that the next two or two or three times. He, he kind of plays it a little, a little straighter. I mean, again, we've mentioned this a bunch of times already. His vocals are insane on this album, but that's yeah. not enough to save this particular version of uh, the song. I love it. Me. I think it's great. I think it's a nice kind of cool down after the rock out. And then if you're gonna if you're gonna end it at least without the one bonus track, if you're gonna end yeah. it. You got to end it on a party. And this is not, Sam, I repeat, not <laughs> the CD3 party party that came You made the, the joke! Uh, no! I was in the dirt <laughs> box set. my joke! Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> That's... Some people like to rock. Some people like to roll. But moving in a good Thank heavens this isn't party party, right? You know, oh, <laughs> Saturn World War. Oh my god! Oh, I don't know why, but I could only picture Hamish when I think of party party. I think he's uh -huh. more prominent in. Maybe like Paul was embarrassed. So it's like Hamish, you go up, you go up front for this, for this one. <laughs> you owe me, Paul, for making for making me sing Stevie's parts in Ebony and Ivory. We're both white, Paul. Why are we singing this together? Ivory so and silly. ivory. Yes. Live together in subjugation. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, look, yeah. Party for me is the Wonder Jackson version. It went to number one here in the UK at, uh, and the US, I believe. No, no at least number one in the, in the UK. And so when I looked at the dates and I saw that Paul's actually referencing the Elvis version. I was a little saddened. The Elvis version's kind of lame, and I think that that lessens the impact of this one. I kind of wanted to hear Paul going, so give it a rock, like sound like Eric Cartman or something, <laughs> you know? And <laughs> sure, or Eric Cartman if you got hungry eyes. Instead, we kind of get, for the first time, at least in my opinion, just a decidedly unspecial song. This just feels like what we've had before. And I'm very well aware that it's very easy to be repetitive on an album of covers when they're not originals. I just feel like at, at this point, 
we've got too too many songs on this. I would have trimmed it down and ended on Honey Hush 100%. But you sound like George Martin talking about the White Album, and I'm going to be Paul saying, It's just one devil run, shut up. It's a bloody one devil run, shut up. Yeah. Uh, I'm just picturing you like steering the old Fair Carol, you know, on the. <laughs> no, that's not the Fair Carol. That was the London Town Boat. Oh, no. Rubber Soul, hey, hey. <laughs> email into paulmccartneypod at gmail.com if you can remember the name of Paul McCartney's boat. We don't have the time to look it up. Uh-uh. Look, I think this album's been fabulous, though, TJ. I really do think it's been fabulous. And uh, and speaking of fabulous, there is room whoa, 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 to whoa, 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 on the whoa. album. <laughs> on the album and the CD from a timing standpoint it was a b-side and then when iTunes added it for download it was it's part of the it was part of the download back in 07 when they added the McCartney catalog there but I think this would have been a better album closer because it kind of sums up the whole yeah. experience it's fabulous and like he's one of the fab four you know it's it's, it's fun and cheeky in that way I mean I do feel like it kind of gets invalidated a little by songs like Coquette and Blue Jean Bop, where, you know, the kind of older tracks. But if he had included this, then I feel like he probably maybe would have had to go a little more faithful on some of the other tracks. This does feel like perfect B-side material. Not bad B-side material, because a lot of McCartney's B-side material is his best stuff. I do agree, though, that maybe this didn't fit as much as the rest. But if I'm going down that line of inquiry, then maybe Blue Jean Bop should have been the bonus track you know but still yeah, but it's that's such a beautiful opener and it's oh. interesting how much this song connects to one of my favorite songs i think you said it was yours too from choba and it's this song has the ain't that a shame feel to it which is a riff paul's always well i always knew i don't think we're the right key but ain't that a shame is <laughs> you made Oh, no, I'm sorry. I'm thinking 20 Flight Rock. I'm thinking 20 Flight Rock. Yeah. Well, I got a girl with a regular machine, machine when it comes. Yeah. So that, but that's, I'm not ain't that a shame. I just fucked that up. But I was kind of comparing the, the, the rhythm of this of Fabulous to the rhythm of 20 Flight Rock. Not ain't that a shame. We'll fix that in post. TJ, it's funny you should mention that because when I heard this, I was like, oh my God. The reason he probably hasn't put this on the album is because it is just 20 Flight Rock. And that's because. Right. 80% of songs back in those days were 20 Flight Rock. Yeah. And that's probably why I was so drawn to this one. I mean, I'd never heard the original Fabulous by Charlie Grace, or Gracie, sorry. And not only did I right away see what McCartney found so enjoyable and memorable about it, but I fell in love with it as well. 
It's oh, it's fabulous. Like he's yeah. he's one of the best Elvis ripoffs I've ever heard. It's great. Totally. Because he's not imitating Elvis. He's re- he's regurgitating it. He and John felt Elvis in their musical souls. They same that's why Paul does a great little Richard, because he embodied little Richard. They embodied yeah. Elvis. Few artists were able to do that without sounding like they were just fucking copying that's the beauty of john and paul and then certainly george as well but on, on on a different compositional level john and paul were able to just summarize all these kinds of different genres and spit it out as if they wrote it yeah ma'am 16 songs later how do you feel about run devil run still in your top three yeah and i've never thought of it that's that a way. wild take by the way no one else is going to say run devil runs yeah. in the even top five mccartney albums email if, in you, if i'm wrong okay great but i mean and i wouldn't have said it before i i gave this a spin again before we uh recorded but i mean sure it's it's do i prefer ram yes do i have a soft spot for flowers in the dirt Yes. Do I love Back to the Egg? Yes. Chaos in Creation? Yes. But I think this is in my top three because there's no Paul McCartney album like this from a rock and roll standpoint. Mm. It's the best covers album with all due respect to John's rock and roll. I know you're a big Ringo sentimental journey guy. Um, Holy (laughs) Days, my friend. It's all about Uh, Holy Days for me. Holy Days is great. Um, But yeah, this album is astonishing in its sheer rock power. And by virtue of that, it's got to be a favorite of mine because no other McCartney album rocks like this. I can't, I can't disagree more. I'm yet to decide whether I prefer it over Chobber and Rock and Roll and Holy Days. That's very mercurial. They're almost like equal standing. And then they will be rearranged depending on how I feel at that time. But as someone who was very afraid of Run Devil Run going in, thinking that this was going to be lame and cringy and he'd already done it and why was he bothering? Why is he wasting Abbey Road? Why is he wasting reuniting with Chris Thomas? Why is he wasting being with Dave Gilmore and Ian Pace? Yada, yada, yada. And once again, TJ, why didn't I just put my faith in McCartney? Why didn't I just trust him to not fuck me? Because he has delivered an unbelievably memorable album yes there's so many tracks on here that say if i was allowed to choose uh, no other baby or the title track picking one song to represent run never run would be incredibly hard because it is so consistent outside like the last couple of tracks after honey hush and not including fabulous because i love fabulous i'd be hard pressed to call any of these songs anything other than at least a seven out of ten, like it's 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 shockingly consistent, and maybe that was like built in from from the get go. But like I said um, earlier, you know, this could have been completely cringeworthy and tragic, and been the Broad Street of the late nineties for Paul. And by gum, he stuck the landing. By yeah, gum. he did stick the landing, and. Uh, maybe you can have me back on or you can come on our show and we'll talk about the Cavern Club performance, which is one of the most spirited Paul Mouths fuck you to a fan. They uh, they do I saw Turn your phones there. off. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh no, 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 that's the Egypt station. Yes, that's Egypt. Performance. Yes. Yeah. Uh yes, because in this one, I, I think someone yeah. yells like uh satisfaction. Someone yells a stones joke. That's funny. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, I got two words for you. 
But yeah, man, uh, thank you for having me on, and thank you for Pleasure. I hadn't listened. I hadn't listened to this probably in a decade. You know, the thing about McCartney, it's like, do I love this album? Sure, but with all the other, like, I just haven't pulled this out and listened to it, so to speak, in a long time. And uh, it's wonderful. I just adore this album. And if it weren't for Unplugged, it would be my favorite novelty McCartney album because I love Unplugged. And boy, does that need a remastering because the volume's way too low and the extra tracks aren't on there and give us things we said today and give us a damn deluxe McCartney Unplugged MPL. I'm talking over here. No, no, no. We're we're not going to get that. It'll be in the Off the Ground archive collection as the bonus disc. It'll be a three-disc archive set for Off the Ground. The album the bonus tracks, and then Unplugged. Maybe Unplugged Discs 1 and 2. Let's go crazy here, TJ. What could be in this set? You uh, right I'm- now are treating Unplugged like it's Thrillington. Unplugged <laughs> must be liberated and released on its own. It is not the Beatles story. It should not be only available in a box set. Maybe we'll make it like the Wings Live 72, 73 one, where it's like, We'll treat uh, Unplugged as its own album and off the ground, but it's in a, a little box together. And then in the middle, uh, we'll include... Oh, there's got to be something. There's got to be something. An expanded version of Tropic Island Hum on Blu-ray. Yeah, <laughs> uh, uh, totally. And Dolby Atmos of the eight remixes of Hope of Deliverance called Deliverance. <laughs> Yo, they're sick. They're the, awesome. I the love Steve, them. Steve Andrew. <laughs> pretty ridiculous i've got i've got i think a 12 inch of it and i played Same. it once and then it's gone back to sleep so you gotta make that your karaoke jam buddy <laughs> seriously it's the most 90s mccartney song until he released um oh, what's that song off egypt station my brain stopped working my brains um oh it, uh, it's oh, yes. I know you need something. Uh-huh. You're talking to me. You're talk- and that's the most 90s like bridge ever for me, as far as I'm concerned. Yes. What song is Nothing it? for free. It's called yes. Nothing for Free. You can't yeah. get nothing for f- Right. It's a bonus track. Oh, so good. It's on the and- Explorers edition, only available at select HMV and targets. Great. I got to rebuy it again. Fortunately, I found a very cheap copy on eBay, but that's yeah. just the look, the look of the draw. Real quick, before I go, I need to tell you something, Sam. As a collector, and you've seen some of the things in the Weirdo Collection, I drew a line in the sand with the three imagined reissues. I do not need the third man pressing of Beck doing Find My Way. Like, I drew a line in the sand as a collector with three imagined. I got one vinyl and I downloaded it. And like, are, are you or people of a younger generation than I, were you guys obsessed with collecting three imagined? Am I missing out on the joys of St. Vincent? I got the gold well, HMV like. version. Okay. Oh no. St. Vincent is someone I would love to do a podcast on. I fucking love. I, yes. I've got, I, on, I do I've like got Vincent, everything yeah. she's got on vinyl. I think her first album is like very un- underrated. Her, like she's one of those artists where I'm like the album she won the Grammy for is my least favorite album of hers. And I feel like that is the case with so many artists. It's right. You know, it's like DiCaprio getting his Oscar for the Revenant. It's like he didn't deserve it for that. He deserved right. it for the Wolf of Wall Street. 
I actually love Three Imagined, but I love it in the same way that I love stuff like Chobber and Holidays in that it's something I put on when I'm writing. It's something I put on when I don't want to particularly pay attention too much, which sounds like a, a diss at the artist, but it's not. It's just a, I'm going to sound like a young person here, which is going to make me make my skin crawl, but Do it's it. just a vibe. It's just a vibe, you know, you know what I mean? It's all about the vibes. Hey, man, it's been a minute since I've heard you say vibe. Yeah, I just said to do a young person thing too. And say it's been, <laughs> I feel like I should be vaping right now. I'm doing... <laughs> yeah, man. Anyway, TJ, yes, anyway. Oh. And in America, the people who are vaping right now are uh, not going to vote and they're going to fuck us all. So if you're listening in America, stop vaping and get out and vote. That's a message yeah. from the from the Shandog. Okay, Jabba is the best album. It's got the best McCartney band on no, it. No, okay. I told Tony about this. <laughs> I told Tony about this. And to- First of all, Tony's going to come on, reach out to him. Tony, I'm his agent. I get 1%, and Tony will come on the show. Okay, he can come on, but I'm going to say some crazy things. I'm going to say it, okay? You know, you know, it's just, I just, I think, he's a great co-host with his DJ. He's great. You know, you should really get your podcast on the radio. Wait, who's that? That's meant to be Biden. <laughs> is that Biden? I was going to say, is yeah. it Biden or Fred Sanford? I wasn't sure. It's great. I will not have sex with that podcaster. No, okay. <laughs> hey, listen. T- look, folks, Ch- TJ has to go. Yeah, TJ, um, to go. B- before you go, what's happening with the Untitled Beatles podcast? Anything happening soon? Uh, well, we're hoping to be back at the Fester Beetle fans in Chicago this coming August. So we'll put details of that on. And again, like if you haven't heard the Untitled Beatles podcast, we are a couple of Chicago jag bags who do improv, who talk about the Beatles and a lot of other random things that apparently upset people. If you're upset seeing Taylor Swift during football games, you'll hate our podcast. You're welcome. If you're that kind of person. If they're listening to this podcast, they're probably going to like yours. People like like-mindedly talented people, you know. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. That's the hope. Can I end this on another president? And you know, Paul McCartney once asked me, "How do I put food on my family?" <laughs> <laughs> That's very good. Uh, I will tell you very quickly how many Americans it upset when Obama honored McCartney. I'm sure this was shown in the UK. Michelle. Big, oh my God. And, when he does Michelle. Michelle. It's so sweet. But Paul made a joke in the coverage before the concert about how the last president, George Bush, they said, Paul Husfield to win the Library of Congress award. And he goes, oh, it's wonderful. The last president didn't even know what the library was. And like <laughs> people got very angry at him. And it's like, if you guys don't think Paul, George, uh, or I should say George's family and John's family and Ringo all feel a certain way, you're not paying attention to the music. Listen to the the music will tell you the truth. War is over if you want it. Well, apparently not. (laughs) Apparently not. Yeah. Uh, I I will say this because I don't want to, I used to be a little more political on the show on our show, the Untitled Beatles podcast. I don't want to get too political. I love the Beatles. I I love the Beatles. Mick Mick Jagger is my favorite Beatle followed (laughs) closely by Pete Townsend. (laughs) (laughs) Do probably orders a Mick Jagger for for dinner at a drive-thru. So yeah, man, uh, I firmly believe that there's a section of people out there who love the Beatles and our weird Second Amendment fetishes, and those folks need weed and a better therapist. Good night, everybody.
And with that, folks, on that note, we're going to end this episode of Paul on. I think thank you all for joining in. I've been your host, Sam Wiles. I've been joined by the indefatigable, the talented, the wonderful, the, the kind, the loving TJ Shannon from the Untitled Beatles podcast. He is not welcome back because next time, apparently I'm chatting with Tony Mendoza, everyone. So yep. take it, Tony. Wonderful stuff. Take it, Tony. I got to one, two, three, four.
because it's so easy. It's so easy for me and so easy for you. Yeah, we're going to do it. <laughs>
Jesus. Oh.